This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Rheingold Beer. It's not bitter, not sweet. It's a real frosty treat. Won't you try? Won't you buy Rheingold Beer? Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's... Fourth of July Werewolves Week, kind, kind of. of. There's a story about how we got here. It's Werewolves Week on Pod <laughs> Cemetery with 1985's Silver Bullet and 2013's Where. That's W E R. That's it. Where. <laughs> but before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What European director of the classic 1977 film Suspiria is also known as the Italian Hitchcock? Dario Argento. That is correct. Would you have gotten that if I had taken Suspiria out of that question? Probably. I mean, I think it gives you everything you need to know. (laughs) All right. The movie we're going to talk about is based on what's described as a novelette. So it's a novella. Cycle of the Werewolf. One major feature of the werewolf has changed in translation to the screen. What is that feature? He can change whenever he wants to? Good guess, but no. Oh. It's that when a werewolf, he could still kind of talk. But they took that out (laughs) of the screenplay. (laughs) The movie we're talking about, of course, is 1985's Silver Bullet. Written by Stephen King, both the original novelette, Cycle of the Werewolf, and the screenplay. Directed by first-time director Don Adias. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. Atias. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) And starring Gary Busey, Everett McGill, Corey Haim, Megan Follows, Terry O'Quinn, Lawrence Tierney, and character actor Bill Smitrovich, because we've seen him, like, Three times just since we watched this movie, (laughs) I bring him up. Corey Haim, this is his first leading role in a movie. This was before Lucas? Lucas was next year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Megan Follows, his sister, is of course Anne of Green Gables from the 80s. Yes. (laughs) And this was actually, I said this is uh, first time director Daniel... Atias, Adias, whatever. Uh, it is actually the only time he's ever directed a movie. He's done nothing but TV shows. And you know how when you look at TV directors, they just have a long list where they directed like one or two episodes of this and that and the other thing. <laughs> this dude has a long list of credentials. And let me just go over a quick list of those TV shows that he's directed several episodes of. Homeland, The Americans... Ray Donovan, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, The Killing, True Blood, House, Entourage, Big Love, The Wire, Six Feet Under, Alias, The Sopranos, Party of Five, The Original Beverly Hills 90210, and one episode of Castle Rock. 
Oh my god! Yeah, so he's kind of like an HBO go-to, wow. or also a sort of like prestige television go-to, wow. and you've probably never heard of him. No. So, yeah, I just think that that's pretty interesting. That's cool. I thought the movie was pretty well directed, actually. Yeah. What is it about? A small town gets terrorized by a werewolf, basically, around the 4th of July. Uh-huh. The main character's in a wheelchair. That's what it is. There you go. <laughs> the wheelchair is named Silver Bullet, hence there's the the title right there. Yes, because very, very illegally, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. His mm-hmm. uh, wheelchair is rigged up basically like a... a like a dirt bike Motorcycle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the movie is free with a subscription on something called Fubo TV. They need to stop naming these sites like this. <laughs> and Sundance TV... Uh, it's 2 to $4 to rent on most major services and 7 to $10 to buy. Should people watch Silver Bullet? It's a fun movie. Uh, it's fun for the family. If I would say yes. If you want to watch like a horror movie with like your family, this is a good movie. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. It's not some like landmark film. You're not going to go, oh my God, it was incredible. But I was genuinely shocked at how much... I legitimately enjoyed it. <laughs> it was actually good. I thought for sure it was going to be just some garbage trash movie because we had never seen it before. Surprisingly, there was a lot of moments in that movie that were actually legitimately tense and interesting. And I thought the acting was pretty good even. Yeah, I, I, it's an enjoyable film. I liked it. Yeah. Well, you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1985's Silver Bullet. From the master of suspense, Stephen King, comes a tale you'll never forget. One home that night it appeared and no one knew how to stop it. My son was torn to pieces. A terrified town with nowhere to turn and death at every door. One boy, one chance. Stephen King's Silver Bullet. Monday at 8.05 on KHNL 13. All right, Kelsey, it's the spring of 1976. Can you get us started? Well, I'd like to point out that the font here is very similar to the font from the opening credits of The Labyrinth. Oh, yeah, no, it did have this kind of vibe to it. (laughs) And it has this song. I'm going to say this now. It definitely comes up later. There is this theme song called Joyride because... The main character, uh, he doesn't have use of his legs, so he rides around in a wheelchair, but he prefers to ride around in, throughout the film, two different motorized wheelchairs. And the song is called Joyride, I guess because of that. And the flute portions at the beginning of the song sound exactly like The Secret of Nim. Yes, they do. Okay, I'm going to play Joyride's flute section right here. This is the secret of Nim. Now, this is just from the top of my head. I haven't listened to either of them recently, especially not Secret of Nim. But I remember being like, what is that? This is a this is almost verbatim a completely different song. Yes. And then you were like, it sounds like the secret of Nim. And I'm like, oh my god, you're right. <laughs> 
So if we're totally off base, I apologize. But that's immediately what was in my head. <laughs> so, yes, you got that coupled with this opening credits that kind of feels like the labyrinth. It's interesting. And then you get this picture of the moon and it's this really bad quality. And, and apparently, it made- apparently it's upside down. That might be why it looks so weird, <laughs> but it reminded me of the worst witch when you see the moon in the worst witch. <laughs> the worst witch, the original. Yes. What? It's like an hour long movie. Yes. I don't even think it's feature. No, I guess feature length is only 40 something minutes, right? So yeah, it's uh, that it was made the for short TV. one. Yeah, with Feruza Balk. Not the Netflix TV show that no. I heard wasn't very good. <laughs> well, I never saw The worst it. witch isn't very good. Let's. Let's be honest with ourselves, okay? It's great. It's fun. (laughs) It is not good. (laughs) So, of course, it's a novelette, which means it's a short book, basically short story by Stephen King. So there's a heavy narration feel. But it kind of feels more to me, it didn't really feel Stephen King, even though I definitely have read stories that he's written that have felt this way. But it felt more like a Ray Bradbury feel. You know, that Norman Rockwell type thing, but there's an eerie thing going on at the same time. Yeah, I guess. It also, I mean, it has this whole like, oh, the summer of our youth kind of we had an adventure kind of thing <laughs> is what it's about. It's narrated by the sister. Yes. But seemingly for no reason, because she's not the main character of the story. There are scenes that will be in this movie that she is not in. Yes. And likewise, there are scenes that Corey Haim is not in. So it just feels weird that it's narrated by anybody. <laughs> And you think that there's going to be some kind of twist about that? No. It's just like, hey, this is the summer that I grew closer to my brother at the beginning and then at the end. You could probably extract it other than you losing that sort of nostalgia feel. But back in the 80s, I don't know if you could have said it was nostalgic. (laughs) Anyway. She explains that it's the spring of 1976 and that they are experiencing a giant full moon. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is when their troubles began. We immediately get a beer commercial. Yes. <laughs> for Reinhold Beer. Almost certainly our sponsor in this episode. And the cast in this movie, guys, is insane. They're like just, just full of a bunch of people that you will recognize. Yes. The first kill is the guy who's singing this theme song. It's not bitter, not sweet. The real frosty tree. Won't you buy, won't you buy, Is a character named Arnie, played by James Gammon, who most people probably know him as the coach from Major League. Yes. Me personally, I know him as Paps from Cap'n Boy. <laughs> <laughs> he's been in, he's been in a lot of things that you, you would recognize him from, but always bit parts. He, ha- he has that very famous gruff voice. But he is the town drunk, which is important. That's why nobody really takes his death very seriously. I think he passed out on the railroad tracks and got run over by a train. But he sees a giant footprint, and then his head just gets lopped off. (laughs) Just swat, and head goes flying. (laughs) And I thought this was interesting. The next shot, maybe not as grotesque and realistic looking, but... And not as long, you know, and not as close up, but it's his head 
sitting there the next day with ants crawling all over yeah. it. Straight out of hereditary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very much hereditary. Like I said, they don't they don't use it to its full effect like hereditary does. Yeah. But it's there. Uh-huh. But like nobody gives a shit that he's dead. <laughs> She explains that she was 15 years old and her brother Marty was 11. What is her name? I didn't write it down. I'm not surprised. Jane. Jane. Jane and Martin. Yep. We will meet the reverend here. Reverend Lowe, who Kelsey immediately pointed out. You see him. There's <laughs> kind of this like town... What, what would you call the, the thing that's going on? There's been like a dais set up and then there's chairs and there's some sort of ceremony going on. I don't remember exactly what the purpose of it's it a is. Festival? It's yeah, a festival? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Of some parade? sort. Some summer thing. Spring. And Kelsey recognized him immediately in like the background. She's like, I know him. <laughs> it is Everett McGill. <laughs> most famous for being in Twin Peaks. He gets an eye patch in this, which is funny. Because his wife in Twin Peaks, also play, who plays his sister in The People Under the Stairs. Which is what I immediately was like, People Under the Stairs, yeah, bad guy. Which we've watched on this show. Wendy Robbie, who was also in Child's Play 2, <laughs> she wears an eye patch in Twin Peaks. So yes. That's, that's the connection there. So who's who going on here? But I also know him from My Fellow Americans, which I've mentioned on the show before. Yes, But I just have this weird reference catalog for people that I recognize. It's never the thing that's, like, the most popular thing. <laughs> for instance, coach from Major League? Yeah, sure, but he's Paps from Cabin Boy. You know? Man from People Under the Stairs or, you know, more importantly, Big Ed from Twin Peaks. No, no, he's the colonel from My Fellow Americans. <laughs> But so Jane is explaining that her and her brother Marty do not get along very well. She is a very typical female teenager, and he is a very typical 11-year-old boy. Yeah. But he does genuinely feel bad. So his friend, who we will barely get to know in this movie. He's doomed. Yes, he's doomed. He convinces Marty that it'll be funny to scare his sister Jane with a garter snake that they found. We used to have those in my backyard. We'd just find them and play with them in the backyard. Those things are fucking harmless. Like when I was three, <laughs> we would play with them. So he is hanging from the tree and is hanging the snake towards her. And she screams and falls. And at first, you know, that's just kind of funny. And Marty rolls up on his gas-powered wheelchair. And at first he's laughing, but then she's upset. She starts to cry and explains that, you know, my pantyhose ripped. Yeah. And her knee is scraped. But then, like, Marty obviously already feels bad. She's already crying. And then the kid just decides to be a total dick. And then throws it at her? Yeah, after she stands up, he throws it at her, causing her to fall again. But this time she falls in mud. Well, they needed to have that extra the mud was right there and she didn't really fall into it 
Right. So they needed it to happen. But it's setting up this relationship between brother and sister where she's expected to cut her brother tons and tons of slack and be responsible for him. So, like, everything falls on her and he gets to do whatever he wants. Now, here's the thing. Not only is he in a wheelchair, he's also the baby of the family. So, like, both of those compounded make the parents almost unbelievably so. It's a little unfair the way they treat her, yeah. Yeah, because... Like, they all get home after this, and she's really upset, and they're basically telling her, like, don't be upset. Now, I get it. She's upset about small things, but if I was a 15-year-old girl, I would be upset about 100%. these things, too, especially the second time. And then after they have this this conversation on the ride home, the parents, could they grab her brother and get him in his wheelchair? No, they make her do it. It's like zero compassion for her. <laughs> yeah, just don't care at all about her and it sucks and like he kind of feels guilty about that but he also kind of doesn't care yeah but i mean i guess that's typical of an 11 year old right kelsey kept asking where the mom was from the mom nan kozla played by robin groves you might have seen her in other things but she's not from anything you know (sighs) so she is helping him out of the car and ends up bringing up their uncle you imagine having gary Busey for an uncle (laughs) Yeah, kind of, I guess. (laughs) Reportedly, reportedly, I don't know if this is true, but Gary Busey was allowed with the approval of the director and Stephen King to ad-lib a lot of his lines. It feels true, but I can't confirm that. (laughs) But the sister is explaining that their uncle is a total drunk, and that really upsets him, because what we'll find out is that they have kind of a special relationship His uncle is the reason he has the motorized wheelchair and stuff. So they have a special relationship. So she's kind of rubbing it in his face that his uncle that he loves is a drunk. And having his third divorce. Yes, and having his third divorce. That night, out of guilt, he gives her enough money to buy back, buy new pantyhose. Mm -hmm. Oh, we forgot to mention... And this is something that kind of should have put things in perspective for the sister at the time, but it didn't. We forgot to mention that at the park, while she's cleaning up because she's been dumped in mud, she goes behind like a tree where she overhears a conversation between a woman and a man. Mm -hmm. These characters... You will never know who they are. It's okay. The woman is impregnated by the dude, and he's like, it's not my kid. I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to have it, et cetera. Et cetera. So that night, the woman who was pregnant has decided that she's going to kill herself. But she doesn't want to because it's the worst thing you can do in the eyes of God, especially if you're pregnant. Yes. Like that only compounds it. But she doesn't care. I'll she go straight know. to hell, but I don't care. Yeah, I mean, she she does, but she doesn't want to. She recognizes that it's a bad thing that she's going to have to do, that she feels like she has to do. But yeah, you're right. She is still going to go through with it as much as she doesn't want to. Suicides go to hell, especially if they're pregnant. And I don't even care. When all of a sudden, a werewolf comes up on her. I wrote this down, climbing up the lattice. <laughs> It seems almost like he's seeking her out specifically. Yes. And he is. He absolutely is. And they don't reveal what the circumstances are until way later in the movie. It's like you forget about it 
and then they bring it back up again. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, that's an interesting explanation. <laughs> so this is our second death now. She gets ripped apart, beaten to death, and the mother comes upstairs with a gun, but it's too late. Yes. Here's where we meet the sheriff, Terry O'Quinn, probably best known for Lost, but on this show, we know him from Stepfather. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I know him. <laughs> Interestingly, though, on Lost, he plays a character who needed a wheelchair. Oh, really? Yeah. In the crash, he miraculously regains the use of his legs. It's a whole subplot of the show. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> He is such an interesting character. I only got through so many characters of Lost, but it's such an interesting character. I gave up on Lost way early. Sorry, all you Lost freaks out there. But, like, that third season was woof. Just woof. The first episode was. The first episode's great. It's one of the best first episodes of a TV show ever. That's why you got so mad at me. What? When you tried to show it to me. Oh, and you just did not care. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Terry O'Quinn is cool. (laughs) We also see the dude, the the local bartender is also famous. Yes, the local bartender, I mentioned his name earlier, is Lawrence Tierney, who most people probably know him from Reservoir Dogs. Yes. And he has to break up a fight <laughs> between the sheriff's deputy and Bill Smitrovich, who is like the town tough guy. Bill Smitrovich, we've seen previously on this show in Manhunter, where he played Lloyd Bowman. He wants to to get rid of the dude from The Stepfather. He wants him to step down and he wants to take his place. Yeah, he just does. He feels like Terry O'Quinn is not doing enough. The sheriff is not doing enough to catch whoever this killer is that's running rampant. Right, because at this point, there's been two murders. There's going to be a third right now. Yes, So the next day, we find out why it's called Silver Bullet. As Chris said, he has a sign on the back (laughs) of his uh, wheelchair that says Silver Bullet because Uh he's motorized. So when he comes and goes, you can see his sign. We get to meet this girl that apparently Marty is best friends with. It seems like there's a budding romance Uh going on here. But she is riding her bike next to him. And she's telling him that she's been hearing scary noises. And you've got to hear this girl's accent because it's pretty funny. Uh Uh-huh. It's coming from the shed. I mean, I saw her all the time. But she's explaining that she's hearing scary noises out by the shed at night. Yeah. And her dad comes out and yells at her to get inside and help with the laundry. But the little girl's not phased and full on, I mean, kisses him on the cheek, but full on kisses him right in front of her dad. Yeah. Does not get mad, which in most Stephen King books, that girl would be getting a beating. Yeah. (laughs) So that was interesting. But the dad says a really fucked up thing here. Yeah, he says he's, well, he basically says that, oh, the boy's crippled and he's just going to become a burden on the state and my taxes are going to pay to keep him alive or whatever. Might as well electrocute them all. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Wow. Yes. Wow. Marty is riding home when his wheelchair runs out of gas. He does stop off uh, at the gas station where he runs into the gas station attendant, Virgil, who we previously saw in the bar. We'll see again in the diner later. William Newman, who we know on this show as Dr. Soames. He is the doctor that's in the jail in The Stand. He was also a street preacher in The Craft. And... (laughs) 
here's me with my weird reference library. He's the judge from Jury Duty, <laughs> the Polly Shore movie. <laughs> I just want to point out that as soon as I saw him, I said The Stand, and Chris was like, that's not who you think it is. I was like, Well, because oh. I was thinking of the old man from The Stand, and <laughs> then it took me like two seconds, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, the guy in the jail, yes. <laughs> Gary Busey, because he's in the middle of his third divorce, is apparently going to try and stay with his sister. Just for a while. He comes out once a month, apparently, and spends some time with his sister, Nan. And she's sitting in the kitchen listening to him, talking to her son, and she doesn't like the way he talks to him. She thinks he's being dirty and et cetera. Et cetera. But it's like he's an 11-year-old boy. Right. You know? And his alcoholic uncle is just saying things that are probably crossing the line. She ends up sending her son to bed. And we have an interesting conversation between her and her brother about her son. It's such a it's such a believable relationship between the two of them. Well, that's what King excels at. Uh-huh. Character building. Yeah. But so he explains to her, you need to realize that there's more to your son than him being in a chair. He's a human being. You can't just treat him like a thing that you have to take care of for the rest of your life. Right. But then she says to him, well, he's ha he has enough hardship in his life. He doesn't need you showing him how to give up. Uh-huh. Which I think also hits him hard, too. So I think they're both right about each other's flaws. Meanwhile, Tammy, his friend, the little girlfriend, her father is watching wrestling at home. Yes, NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, which is, Kelsey, you'll find this interesting, currently owned by one Billy Corgan. What? Yes. Why? <laughs> He's a big wrestling fan. That's weird. <laughs> he ends up hearing those noises that Tammy was talking about earlier, so he goes out to take a look at it, and apparently they have a greenhouse on the property? Yeah, well, that's the shed. I guess, but it's a very nice, like, a, it looks like a greenhouse. Yeah. It does not feel like something this man would own. But a spider scares the heck out of him, uh -huh. which I love. And then the whole greenhouse starts to shake. And then the wolf grabs him from beneath. Oh, this is weird. That So he comes popping up from underneath the shed through the floorboards, grabs him and pulls him down. And when he does so, impales him on one of the boards that was broken when he came popping up out of it. It was very interesting. It was, it was odd, but it was cool. It was different. But here's the problem with this death. We never get a motivation for it. I will tell you that the werewolf is cleaning up the town. Don't you think that the alcoholic father, who's probably also abusive, is something to be cleaned up? So now there's lots of fear within the town and everyone is going in early and everyone's scared and staying indoors. But not Marty. Not no. Marty with the superhuman strength. <laughs> yes, who has pulled himself up into a tree. When his buddy is there, by the way, we see as he's leaving that he's actually flying a kite with his buddy. <laughs> And the kite, his kite gets stuck in a tree, so he's pulled himself up into the branches of this tree. Yes. Needs his sister's help to get down. And she comes up and explains that dinner was ready an hour ago. Where have you been? And he goes, oh, is mom mad? And she goes, yes, with me for not knowing where you were. Uh-huh. And I think that if we had had time... I think there's a lot of character building that you can do here, you know, him realizing my mom's never mad at me. My mom's only ever mad he at my sister. He does. This is the interesting part is he does 
gradually over time. Like after this, you know, I, there's a point where he starts to feel bad and and it's like the reverse where I'm like, well, no, man, a lot of shit has happened to you. You deserve to be upset right now. But he feels bad for being upset coming up in a little bit. But he as he leaves to go back home with his sister, he turns and he looks at Brady, who is still flying his kite like he's never going to see him again. It's probably <laughs> in the book. I'm sure it probably explains that there was just something uh-huh. I knew looking at him. This is the last time I was ever going to see him. I wanted to tell him to go home, uh-huh. but I didn't because it didn't feel it felt un- unnecessary. But again, what's the fucking reasoning here? Because he's a punk-ass bitch of a kid. I guess that's true. Listen, I'm not saying any of these murders are actually justified. I'm just saying if you want a motive, that's what it is. Meanwhile, what's his name, the guy who incenses everybody? Do you want the character's name? Sure. Andy, Bill Smitrovich. Is trying to get everybody in the town bar up in arms against... The stepfather. Yes. <laughs> Terry O'Quinn. And as he puts it. Sheriff Joe Haller. His investigation is as good as a submarine with screen doors. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a very famous saying. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. About as useful as a screen door on a submarine. But so he's trying to get everybody upset and riled up. And in walks a man who we do know. No. Oh, we didn't? No, we don't know. Ken Broadhurst? Kent Kent Broadhurst, who plays Brady's dad? Okay, so not whoever I thought it was. Okay. No. In walks Brady's dad, and he stops everyone, and he's like, has anyone here seen my son? And they're like, oh, shit. So they go out and they look. They don't find a kid, but they find a paper kite covered in 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 paint. <laughs> yes, but it is blood. It is and the yes, they, if I ever saw it. The, the camera doesn't find the kid. They do find the kid. Okay. And Brady's dad is fucking acting his heart out in this movie. Like he is, oh boy. He goes all out melodramatic, but not like it doesn't quite reach the point where it's like ridiculous and funny. But he's like, this is a very important scene. It's a very important character. And I'm going to get this right. I just came from my boy's funeral. He was torn apart. Upset. Grief stricken. You don't know what those words mean. My son was torn to pieces. Pieces. My son was torn to pieces. You come in here and talk to these men about private justice. You dare to do that. Why don't you go out to Harmony Hill, Sheriff Heller, and dig up what's left of my boy Brady and explain to him about private justice? Would you want to do that? Kent Broadhurst just really does act his heart out as Herb Kincaid. (laughs) He's in several scenes, and man, he's intense. <laughs> yes, and, and what you're talking about is when... Well, several moments. It's when he first finds his kid, and he flips out, and then... Back at the bar, <laughs> which is where everyone meets up, apparently. Uh, yep. Andy is again getting everyone angry about this. In walks the stepfather, 
It's not who he really is. What's his Sheriff name? Sheriff Holler. Sheriff Holler. And he's explaining, I am going to catch this murderer. I am going to catch him. And the, the other guy says, you couldn't catch a cold. And he says, I am the law here. And you are not about to do private justice. Okay. And this becomes like the new tagline of the movie. <laughs> and in walks Brady's dad. And he says, you don't know what those words mean. My son was torn to pieces. And he will say torn to pieces a couple times. Uh-huh. Very dramatically. He will say, explain to my son about private justice. <laughs> and so that apparently is enough to just tell the cop, don't do your job. Mm -hmm. And everybody leaves. And the reverend tries to stop them all, and they won't, and, and he turns to the sheriff, and the sheriff is like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Like, I can't arrest them all, I can't shoot them. This is the community spirit yep. you were talking about. Exactly. Well, let him go, reverend, this is that community spirit you've been talking about. Great, ain't it? And they go up, they, they create a posse, and they're gonna do what? What do they know? Who are they gonna head out for? Well, they've noticed that, have they noticed anything about the full moon? No, I don't think so. Okay. I just, I thought that they thought that because it was a full moon, he was going to be out to strike. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Listen, Marty, you have got to get this idea out of your head. Psychotics are more active when the moon is full. And this guy's a psycho. When they catch him, you're going to find out he's just as human as you and me. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, they don't, they think it's a murderer. They think it's a person. And so they head to like this swamp area. And everyone's all scared, and Lawrence Tierney has his peacemaker bat that he has on him. Which is what he used in the bar to uh -huh. break up fights. <laughs> it's very intimidating and dope as hell. There is waist-deep fog here, uh -huh. which is a pretty cool effect. Uh -huh. None of them can seem to find out where the sounds are coming from. One like person howling or whatever. One person hears it from the left, another person hears it from the right, Meanwhile, another dude gets his foot caught in a bear trap. And yes. Nobody gives a shit. Oh, and there's that moment where the dude's trying to open it back up again. Then he hears a noise and he lets it slam shut on the dude's leg again. Yes. And that whole moment you think is going to go somewhere. It doesn't go anywhere. Nope. Nobody cares. There's this dude who's there with his wife who asks him if he's going to make lemonade in his pants. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. What's the matter, Bobby? You're going to make lemonade in your pants? I ain't scared. Let's go. Once they realize that they can't figure out where the sound is coming from, one of them goes, uh-oh, I think it's in the fog. It's from under us, yeah. I think it's underneath us, or, you know, around our feet. Uh-huh. And pretty much immediately, they start getting picked off. Yes. Including Lawrence Tierney getting beaten to death with his own bat. Well, it's pretty great, because up until this point, guys... We've seen the werewolf do some things that entertain the idea that it's got, that it's it knows what it's doing, it knows where it's going, mm -hmm. etc. Etc. But this is the first time that we get like, oh no, he's fully, fully awake. Yes. As a human within a, within a wolf. Uh-huh. Because at first... The guy starts to beat him with his with his bat. He starts to beat the werewolf with the bat. Uh-huh. 
But all we can see is the arm holding the bat f- uh-huh. coming up from underneath the fog. And then the bat switches hands. And then the next time we see it, it's held by the werewolf arm. Uh-huh. And it's a pretty funny scene, but it's also very telling. And who does he kill, though? Who is he killing? The bar owner, the guy who runs the place that gets everyone riled up. But multiple people die here. There's like three people that die here. But there are three people that die. And the next scene we get is a funeral for these three people. The reverend is like, you know, because he said at Brady's funeral, like, you know, my job is to provide you with comfort. And I don't know how to provide you with comfort here. And Brady's dad starts speaking up about there is no comfort (laughs) there is only private justice and the reverend's getting really flustered and he doesn't know what to say he doesn't know how to comfort well he says the bible tells us not to fear the terror and yet we do and then all of a sudden they all start turning into werewolves and he's freaking out and then he wakes up in a sweat and he says oh god please let it end Yes. Which doesn't make sense when you know what happened. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think he wants to have these urges, but he does. It's very obvious, by the way, at this point, that the werewolf is the reverend. (laughs) Because he's the only one who got, like, his own point of view. And he wasn't there in the fog to know that it was some monster. So why is he worried about werewolves? Why is he having these dreams about werewolves? Why are we in his bedroom when he wakes up from a dream? Right. We also don't really get any real reasoning for why Marty has already kind of decided that it's a werewolf. Earlier in the film, we didn't mention it at the time, but earlier in the film, he's talking to Gary Busey and he's like, what if you, what if it's not a person? And Gary Busey's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And he kind of lets it go. I think he does say, what if it's a werewolf? But it's like, why would he come to that conclusion yet? (laughs) there's a lot going on there's a surprising amount going on i'll just say (laughs) so yes now it's no longer springtime as it was in the beginning now it's summertime time has been passing because a lot of people have been dying time has passed and it's now the fourth of july but it's about to be yes but unfortunately for marty the fair has been canceled and the fireworks have been canceled and we all feel that now with you marty (laughs) we all feel that with you now kelsey especially her her favorite thing about summer is going to the county fair (laughs) and that's not happening this year for good reason but it sucks (laughs) (laughs) but so he gets there and he goes no fair get it yes (laughs) and the sister he's done other things throughout the film to kind of annoy and upset her yeah but the sister's, like, not even taking into account that his best friend That's just what I'm died. saying. At this point, this is the point where it's, like, it's reasonable for him to be upset. But he does still, like, he tones it down. And he's just kind of, like, privately devastated at that point. But she will say, like, oh, of course, the kid, the cripple kid didn't get everything he wanted. You know, end of the world or whatever it is that she says. Because she's very, very upset with him. And up until this point, you could understand why she would be upset with him. But now... Yeah, it's just like, come on. Yeah. His best friend died. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let him right. whine about the fair. <laughs> and and Gary Busey actually comments on that fact about how it's just kind of a life is a shit sandwich for him right now. Yes. The one thing he wanted that would have made him feel good now is canceled. <laughs> 
But that's okay, because Uncle Gary Busey has made him a surprise. Two surprises, in fact. So first surprise is... A new silver bullet. Yes. This one like has a has a full dirt bike engine or something in it, and it's decked out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just exactly what an eleven year old boy would want. Yes. And he tries to warn him, like you know, because he he lets him ride it. And when Marty comes back after riding around on the street and passing up cars and stuff like that, when he comes back, Gary Busey's on the floor pretending like he's just had a heart attack. He's like, you cannot. You have to be careful. Like, that's the thing. He's the, he's the fun uncle, but he's not, like, thoughtless. You yeah. know, he's like, you're, you're going to kill me. You need to be careful. And you could never tell your mom how fast this thing actually goes. And do you remember what word... Marty chooses to use in this moment to describe how awesome it was. Is it bitchin' or No, what is he it? uses Ron's choice word of wicked. Oh yes, yes. The other gift he gets for him is so they have they have Fourth of July dinner. Everyone's happy. It's outside, it's in the back, they're barbecuing. And Red is going to leave. Gary Busey is going to leave. He's headed back home and he has Marty walk him to his car and when he gets out to his car he gives him a bag full of fireworks being like hey you know what i know you didn't get your fireworks show that you really wanted so here you go just hide them in the bushes for now because your parents can never know and stay near the house which is weird because you think he would couple that with information like don't light them like literally near the house you don't want to set the house on fire <laughs> But he says, yeah, just don't go out somewhere where you shouldn't be. Stay near the house when you light them. And fucking Marty, that goddamn night, goes and sets them off. The fireworks pay off fucking immediately. <laughs> I thought for sure this was going to be like uh, the gate thing uh -huh. where it was going to pay off as the way he survived at the end. Nope. Immediately the shit pays off. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, this is telegraphed way in advance. Nope. <laughs> he takes his new silver bullet out to the creek, onto the bridge, and starts setting off fireworks in the middle of the night where he has to climb down the steel lattice to get to where the silver bullet is. So what happens when he's out there setting off fireworks? He gets seen by the werewolf. And the werewolf, who, <laughs> you know, you might be thinking, oh, bright lights, loud noises, attack thing, you know. But no, it's like, Oh, it's a troublemaking kid is mm -hmm. really what's going on here. And the werewolf comes after him and Marty actually sees him, freaks out. And what he does is he sets off the bottle rocket that he has, which Red told him was the piece de resistance and fires it right at him. And it gets him right in his eye, his left eye. And he's able to get away. It is a cool scene. Uh, it is fun, but it's also like the kid just totally is polluting. Like he just throws all his trash in the river. And it was the eighties. <laughs> there was a lot of that. <laughs> and he's so scared. Poor, poor Marty. He's yes. so scared. <laughs> but thank goodness for his motor scooter. <laughs> he's able to make it back home, and he tells his sister about it. Yes. And she says, the narrator says, the old version of her says, He told me something that was clearly unbelievable. And yet somehow, I believed most of it. And I understood one thing with total clarity. Marty himself believed it all. 
because he was convinced, right? And he he managed to convince her. And and they agreed, well, let's try to prove it. I didn't know if it was real, but he knew it was real. Exactly, yeah. So so let's try to let's try to prove it. Either prove it that it exists or prove it it doesn't and set your mind at ease. And we love the way that they chose to do it's this. It's so fucking clever. <laughs> it's so good. It's a recycling drive that's going on for the MedQ or medical crisis unit. They're raising money by finding recycling that the church is organizing. And so Jane goes around town with a shopping cart to go to all the businesses and all the homes and talk to people. And the way this is shot, it is legitimately tense. <laughs> They do slow shots. People are talking kind of strange. People are looking kind of strange. She goes to people's houses. She goes to the diner. And she's trying to see if anyone has damage in their eye. Because that's where Andy hit the werewolf with the bottle rocket. She goes to the barber shop and she sees a man there with his face wrapped up in a warm towel. So she goes up, walks up to him, opens up the towel and it's Andy and he just stares at her. <laughs> And she asks him if he has any recycling, and he says no. She just wraps his face back up again, and she goes through the whole town and doesn't find anyone. Yeah, and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I believed him. And then she gets to the church, but she doesn't see it right away because he's got his head turned. The reverend is gardening, and he's got his left side away from her, so she doesn't see that his left eye is bandaged up. And so she goes to put the cans away. She sees something that she thinks is weird and she gets startled. Do you remember what that was? A rat? Yeah, it was a rat. That's right. And she falls back on a pile of cans where she sees the broken peacemaker bat. She's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then in comes the reverend. Having some trouble? Yep. With that eye patch. And this is fucking tense. Yes. And he's in between her and the exit, and he's trying to be intimidating, but also, like, have plausible deniability at the same time. And he offers to, she's like, I gotta go. I can give you a ride home. No. And, like, you know, she runs away. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's the Reverend. At one point. Well, as she's leaving, what does he say to her? Oh, say hello to your brother for me give or something like that? my best to your brother. Yeah. So it's become very clear, and now it's a game of cat and mouse. Once he finds out it's the the reverend, Marty writes him a letter. Oh, God, yes. With, you know, things taken out of magazines, letters, and tells him to kill himself. Yes. <laughs> I know what you are. Kill yourself. And they tell Red about this, too. And Red is having a really hard time believing this. And he's like, true or not, you can't just go sending people these letters. But he also says to Jane, he's like, "How, Jane, I can't even believe you would believe this. You're little Miss Polly practical. <laughs> and I do love that when she tries to tell him, come and look at his shed. I'll show you the bat that's broken. He says, no, I'm not going to go. And Marty turns to her and he, said, and she, he says, he probably got rid of it by now anyway. Uh -huh. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, they said that and they weren't actually trying to look for it. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> I love all these people that are like, I can show you. Uh -huh. Why would the killer still leave it there? Uh -huh. But now, now that we know it's the Reverend, it's starting to make a lot more sense why people were actually killed. Then he, and he's going to explain himself a little bit in a scene coming up here. Well, there's an important moment where she says, I believe in you to Marty. 
and she mm-hmm. turns to Uncle Red and she says, you, you used to believe in him too. Yeah, and that kind of hits him where he lives. Kids. <laughs> and that's when he changes. So yeah, it, it really hurts Red. You know, he starts to think about it. But he still can't bring himself to just believe these kids' stories that there's a werewolf running around. So Marty is sad because he wishes he could play baseball. But again, surprisingly for Stephen King, the kids are not dicks to him. Uh-huh. They turn to him and they're like, hey, you want to come with us and get like a milkshake or something? Uh-huh. Like, not Stephen King-esque at all, but he says, no, I'm going to go home. But the Reverend is following him in his car and in broad daylight as a human being. But on, on like, back back roads and shit like that. I guess he drives after him. There's a great, oh my God, from Marty, which I'm not, not doing a good example of. And he keeps trying to, like get around Marty and trying to hit him off the road. Well, he ends up almost hitting another car that's coming from the opposite direction, which causes him to hit the bridge. Yeah. He barely misses the other car. He keeps going after Marty, but Marty takes a quick turn that the Reverend is not able to get, but he runs out of gas here. And there's nowhere for him to go now. Uh-huh. He's, he's trapped in this closed-off covered bridge. Like you say, there's nowhere for him to go. And up drives the Reverend. And I'm just like, what about the other dude? Well, who almost hit him. He just kept going. Wasn't concerned about the fact that there was a kid in a wheelchair. And there was another dude that yeah, was almost hitting uh-huh. him. Like, no? Nope. Okay. He starts to explain himself. And he talks about how he killed that one woman who we saw climbed the lattice. And I'm like, wow, it looks almost like he's specifically targeting her. That's weird. Yeah, no, he is. In his own weird, twisted way, he was saving her. Because if she had committed suicide, she would have gone to hell. But by him killing her, he saved her soul. You should have left me alone, Marty. I can't kill myself. Our religion teaches that suicide is the greatest sin a man or a woman can commit. Stella was going to commit suicide, and if she had done so, she would be burning in hell right now. By killing her, I took her physical life, but I saved her life eternal. You see how all things serve the will and the mind of God. You see! You meddling little shit! You can extrapolate that he's trying to protect people in the town, the little girl whose dad was an alcoholic, probably abusive, the the town drunk who, I guess, was, what, bad for the town? The, the, the punk kid who was terrorizing the neighborhood, the bar owner who was getting people wasted and riled up, uh, those people who were exacting private justice like they all in the reverend's mind kind of deserved it and were ways that he could help improve the community and its communal spirit but he's still fucking intimidating and now trying to kill a little kid not that he didn't already kill brady but that's when marty sees this man ride by in this tractor mr zimmerman yes and he calls out to him and zimmerman hears something but he doesn't know what Zimmerman stops, turns off the engine of the tractor and gets out and he calls out to him again. He's like, Marty, is that you? 
And when he gets there, the Reverend is gone. Well, he's driven away. Yes. And he helps out Marty get gas. He's like, oh, kind of scary in here, isn't it? You know, and he helps him get gas and get him home. Yes. So back at home, they're trying to convince him now. The Reverend, as a human, tried to run me off the road. It's very obviously the Reverend. And Red still is like, I... (sighs) It's beyond belief. And as he's pacing around and talking to these kids, he looks down and he sees the damage on Silver Bullet. Jane, what color is Lowe's car? Blue. This blue. And points to the damage on the Silver Bullet where the paint from the Reverend's car was left. Mm-hmm. And Red's like, fuck. Jesus. I got to believe him now. Mm-hmm. And so now he decides to to believe him. And not only that there, even if the, like if there was a werewolf or there wasn't, Marty is in danger. Yes. And he needs to protect him. And there's no way his sister, Red's sister, Marty's mom, and uh, her husband are going to believe any of this stuff. So the next thing we know, Nan and her husband are going off on this trip, this cruise that Red won and has no use for now that he's getting a divorce. Marty asks him, you know, did you really win a cruise? <laughs> of course he didn't. Nope. It was an excuse to get the parents out of the house and let Red watch them and protect them. He also gets their silver stuff. Marty has this this silver it's not a coin, like a traditional coin like you might see in your pockets, where they're not silver at all anymore, that Kelsey pointed out. <laughs> yes, very much so. But it's like this old silver disc that he has. And then Jane has a necklace that she wears that's, you know, silver. And he goes to this weaponsmith that he knows. <laughs> and is like, ah, my kids are, you know, I want to get them something my nephew, he wants to bully. He just got interested in guns. And- my nephew has just discovered the Lone Ranger. And I wondered if you could help me here. You want a silver bullet, huh? Huh? He has him make a bullet. And we see the process of him making this bullet, which is really neat. <laughs> and this Smith is like, this might be the best bullet I've ever made. And he's like, oh, this is re- this is really good job. And then the Smith says something about, like, you could kill a werewolf with that. Did he? <laughs> yeah, and Red's like, uh, what are you talking about? This is just for fun. Nicest piece of work I ever done, I think. It's got a low-grain load, so it won't tumble. Ought to be pretty accurate. Oh, why shoot, it's just a gag. What the heck are you going to shoot a forty-four bullet at anyway? Made out of silver. How about a werewolf? It's almost it's that. almost like the Smith knows. I don't remember them. Something because he's an old timey Smith. He doesn't, you know, he uses the old way of making bullets. So he might know about werewolves. <laughs> but they have one bullet now, and Red has a revolver. And they vow to stay up. And then nothing fucking happens. Well, they all fall asleep. Yeah. And then the TV goes off with the 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 sign off where the you know they're they're done broadcasting for the day and then they play the music and all of that. Just like in Poltergeist happens, his cigarette almost burns him, which is what wakes Gary Busey up. 
They've got this one silver bullet, so they've got to make sure that they only use it when they want to use it. It's like three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And Red's like, look, it didn't come. We, I said I'd stay awake, but it's time for you guys to go to bed. I'll stay up. You go to bed. Turns out we didn't need this fucking thing anyway. And he pulls the, the bullet out of the gun and holds it up, showing them that he has a silver bullet. And that's the moment when the lights go out. The power was yanked out of the box. And then the werewolf comes in through the window. The gun goes one way and the bullet goes another way and the bullet falls into a vent in the floor, one of the floor vents. And now it's just Red fighting against this one-eyed werewolf. Marty and Jane are huddled up in the corner and Marty saw where the bullet went, so he's trying to get to the bullet. Jane's trying to save Red from getting killed by this werewolf and she like hits him with something like a, a chair or something like that. Jane gets the gun just in time for Marty to get the bullet. He puts the bullet in the chamber, closes it. He ends up shooting the bullet and it hits the werewolf in the other eye, right? Yes. And he falls into place and we get to see this reverse transformation. You know, an American werewolf in London, how they they make the hair grow in the transformation by pulling hairs through a fake skin and making them recede, and then they just run that in reverse, and it looks like the hairs are growing. We see that, but in the right direction. So it's like his hair is, in fact, receding, and he's turning back into a human. Earlier in the film, apparently it was not good enough for Chris to even remember it, but there eh, is a right. full-fledged transformation scene. I feel like it happens here at the beginning of this scene. It happens before they get the silver bullet. Okay. And that's exactly what I wrote. I wrote, that was a cool transformation scene, but nothing I hadn't seen, nothing crazy. Like, you know, in The Howling, there's all the bumps, and it's uh -huh. like, what's going on? It's bubbling, and yeah. And American Werewolf is extremely realistic, and you get to see every change, and it's very, very cool. This one's just kind of in the middle of that. So apparently, apparently... Carlo Rombaldi, who did the makeup effects and the design of the werewolf, was designing it to Stephen King's specs. Stephen King originally wanted it to be just plain, like a hairy dude with a dog face, like was kind of his whole deal. So it wouldn't just look like werewolves that are in every other movie. It would maybe look a little bit grounded and realistic that way, like a you know, if a human transferred into a wolf man, what would it really look like? You mean what Harry Potter decided to do with it? Well, that's that more like a shit? dog that turns into a man than a man that turns into a dog. Or at least that's what it looks like. But anyway, so apparently Dino De Laurentiis, who produced this movie, hated the design. Because he, he wanted something that you might see in like an American Werewolf in London or The Howling or any of those other movies. And he was like, no, you got to change it. And Stephen King, who requested the design, and Rambaldi, who made it, said, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to make the change. This is how we want to design this creature. And Dino De Laurentiis is like, no, you need to change it. And they're like, we're not going to do it. So you either accept this or we're just not making the movie. <laughs> and so he was forced to relent there. But yes, this, this werewolf was designed... To be not some big spectacle thing. To be something that you kind of hardly ever saw and was just like a hairy dude with a weird face. That was by design. Yeah, well, 
That's why it didn't leave much of an impression on you. <laughs> yeah, totally. It just felt, to me, without knowing any of that, what I would have guessed would have been like, yeah, those two movies already did it. Let's just do a shortened, yeah, sure, easier version of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they do have a transformation scene. Yes, I do remember that. But you're right. Yeah, it wasn't so remarkable that it stuck in our brains. But um, yes, the part where he turns back into a human, it felt like we had more time with that. Yes. And then there's a final scare, which feels exactly like the one that we later would see in Scream, where Nev Campbell shoots Skeet Ulrich right in, the, in between the eyes. But that doesn't need to happen. He just pops up ah, and reaches out his hand and then just falls back down again. It's kind of lame. Yes. And then as they're huddled up against the wall, Red survived and Jane and Marty are like holding each other. Marty says to Jane, I love you, Jane. And then the narrator, the older version of Jane, says, I love you too, Marty. Good night. Which is the weirdest ending to the movie. And we get a really <laughs> cheesy freeze frame, and it's just like... I wrote, um, what? What was that ending? Good night? Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> it was almost like... he was tell- She was telling him the story of what happened to, to him. Yes. As adults? As a bedtime story? Yes. What the fuck was the context of the narration? Unless he died. Maybe I don't know. Like, like she's telling the story to his to his, his grave. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Odd. It's so bizarre. And then we get the flute that sounds like the secret of Nim. <laughs> and the end credits. Do you have any uh, lightning round stuff for this movie, Kelsey? A couple things. I liked that he described his friend who made the silver bullet as a wizard of weapons. Red described, not the guy who made the wheelchair, but the literal silver bullet. Yes, uh uh-huh. The man Uncle Red had gone to see was more than a gunsmith. He was, Uncle Red said, an old world craftsman, a sort of wizard of weapons. All right, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Out of 20 reviews. So we know it has to be a multiple of five. There's no consensus statement. 70? 45. Wow. And a Metacritic average of 26. Wow. That's really low. They done did this movie dirty. Yeah. It's not a masterpiece. No. But it's good. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Yes. So underrated? Yes. What score would you give it? 45 is extremely low. Yes. I would probably give it a 71. Yeah, I was thinking 70. I think 70 is a good score for this movie. But like, 45? (laughs) Jesus. I'm surprised. Like, I wonder what they didn't like about it. Because I I, can't. It's cheesy and weird. Yeah, it's cheesy. It's a a family horror movie. Right. Which is fine. Uh Uh-huh. But it's still mature for being a family horror movie. Yeah, but like... The tense moments are legitimately tense. The funny moments are legitimately funny. There's a mystery involved here that's interesting. Yeah, I think that its biggest letdown is that it's kind of cheesy, but that's it. And Stephen King is cheesy. Yeah. If you like Stephen King, you like cheesy shit. Uh Uh-huh. I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this movie. (laughs) So screw all those reviewers out there, most of whom didn't like it. Walked away thinking it was bad. That's so strange. Doesn't to that me. suck? It's just weird. Like I, 
I can't imagine walking away and being like, if I had to say it was good or bad, I'm saying bad. Right. Of all the opinions you can have on this movie, walking or walking away from it saying it was anything worse than just inoffensive. <laughs> like, I don't know how you come to that conclusion. Which is a bummer. But if you haven't seen it yet, you should watch it. It's it's not gonna blow your skirt up or anything like that, but it's it's a it's a fun watch and worth your time. Yeah. Anyway, that is 1985's Silver Bullet. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. Damien Thorne is the name of the possessed child in what 1976 movie? The Omen. That's right. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. The GS and WM train line is the fictional train line that runs through Tarker's Mills in this movie. It also runs through what other Stephen King town? Castle Rock? That is right. How do you know that? Because it's Stephen King? My options were, I was pretty sure this one was in Maine. So my options were Derry, which uh -huh. he doesn't put in everything. Uh-huh. Bangor, which he doesn't uh -huh. put in a lot, or Castle Rock. <laughs> yes, but specifically, Castle Rock is the town where the body takes place, or Stand By Me. It's the same train line from Stand By Me. Oh, cute. Yeah. The one who, theoretically, the town supposes, cuts off the head of the town drunk, <laughs> is the same one that they walk along in the body and Stand By Me. So, interesting. All right, moving on to our next movie. shit going down in Maine. Yeah, bunch of shit. Well, I mean, it's where he's from. I would probably lean on places where I'm from, too, if I was a writer like he was. You might as well. You got to put your story somewhere. Might as well put him someplace you know. Our next movie is 2013's Where, W-E-R. Uh, written by Matthew Peterman and William Brent Bell and directed by William Brent Bell. And let me tell you, I'll give you a little sneak peek about my thoughts about this movie. I didn't know that it was written and directed by the same person. <laughs> At the end of the movie, I was like, I bet this movie was written and directed by the same person. And I looked it up and sure enough, it was. Big surprise, I wrote down. It was written by the director. I went to check for that specifically, and it turned out to be true. <laughs> Starring A.J. Cook, Brian Scott O'Connor, Sebastian Roche, Simon Quarterman, and Vic Sahay. Sebastian Roche was Balthazar on Supernatural for a couple of episodes. <laughs> this is literally the only thing that Brian Scott O'Connor has ever been in, who plays Talon. Which, by the way, come on. Your werewolf character's name is Talon. Isn't that a, is that Seriously? Maybe a French name? But you could pick any name maybe and you pick Romanian the name, name and you pick the name that sounds like Talon, as in Claw. <sighs> Just so on the nose. But Brian Scott O'Connor, there's nothing about this man online. Just a ton of bot-generated articles on random sites that try to drive traffic so they could sell ad space. Like there is literally nothing about this man anywhere online. And I, it's driving me crazy. I was trying to find out, does he really have this condition? Does he have any condition? Has he been in anything else? Because he seemed all right. Where did they find him? Like, none of that fucking anywhere. There's not a lot written about this movie, period, because it's an independent film. Released in Japan on November 16th, 2013, even though it is a South African slash American production, 
It was only ever that released takes in place theaters. in France. Yes. <laughs> Even though it was only ever released in theaters in Japan, November 16th, 2013, and was released on video on demand in August of 2014. What is where about? A family is brutally murdered while camping. And a murder investigation begins when the wife says that it was not an animal, but a man. They arrest a man, and the rest of the film follows the attorney who's going to try and help the man. The movie is $4 to rent and 10 to $15 to buy on all major streaming services. Should people watch where? Unfortunately, no. Absolutely first, not. But I agree with unfortunately. Yes. It's good. I was really excited with the first half hour of this movie, maybe. I was like, wow, I'm actually really enjoying this. This is an interesting premise. We're seeing an interesting side of these events. I was very, very much intrigued. And then it just takes a fucking turn and goes so fast downhill that it rockets through the Earth's crust into the molten core of our planet. <laughs> it is, it, I cannot believe the difference in my opinion of this movie between when I, when I started in that first half hour and by the time it ended. I fucking hated this movie by the time it was over. It was a waste of a premise. It was. And that's a bummer. A big bummer. I'm trying to decide if it's if it's if it would be interesting to watch going into it knowing that it's terrible. No. Probably well, not, not for me because it just turns into an action movie. It really halfway does. Halfway through. It does. It does. It takes a horror premise and it's like, "Oh, what if we were looking at like the legal end of it and there was a mystery involved, right?" That would be really interesting. It was well, great. They drop that premise half an hour into the movie and they turn it into an action film. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? Seriously? And because it's an independent film, the effects are garbage. <laughs> Just garbage. And it's not even endearingly garbage. Like, well, they didn't have a lot of money and they did the best they could. No, they just leaned on computer effects that looked terrible. I've got something <sighs> to say here about that. Okay. And I think it's important that you go into this movie knowing this. I did know this. I didn't tell you. Uh-huh. Because I didn't know if it would ruin anything. Uh-huh. But having seen it now, I'm like, I'm glad I knew. And I think that if you're going to watch it, you should know this. He will never actually transform. You're right. Uh, and I did not think that would bother me as much as it did. Because I thought they were going to do enough to counteract that, but they don't. And what I ended up thinking by the end of the film was they didn't want to do a rubber mask. They didn't want it to look like shit. And they didn't have the money to make a good transformation. So they thought, we'll do it in post. Uh-huh. We'll do it as CG. My guess is, is that they did it in CG and they were like, oh, that looks really bad. But there are no, like, reference point markers on the actor's face or anything like that, unless they CG'd that out, too. Yeah. It's just they found a guy, they put some, maybe put some fake hair on his face, and had him snarl a bit. And that was their werewolf, which I would be fine with, actually. That That's not what bothers me. What bothers me is that then how do you explain some of the stuff he does? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
and some of the things that happen, like, I don't care how fucking strong he is, the stuff they expect him to have done is literally physically impossible. Yeah. And they have no explanation for it. Right. It's obviously somebody who was like, oh, I got this badass premise for a script, and then I'm going to make it myself. Which, again, fucking put it in front of somebody else. If you think you have an awesome script, write it and hand it over to somebody else because they'll be able to tell you if it's garbage or not. Because you are too close to know if it's terrible. And so was William Brent Bell, and he made the wrong fucking call here. (laughs) Give the script that you wrote to somebody else and have them write it. Maybe that's what Matthew Peterman was for. And he did a piss poor job of it on his end. <laughs> I was so, like, every time I got angry at this movie, I thought, well, that's so fucking dumb. <laughs> and then three minutes later, there'd be something else that would top it. And that just kept happening for the rest of the movie. Just something that was more nonsense than the thing that came before it. I remember when that dude shaved all his hair off for some fucking reason. <laughs> it's because he was denying it. Yeah, I understand the the logic behind it, but it was so stupid. Yes, it was. Ah, uh, okay. Anyway, don't watch this movie. Even with that context, don't watch it. It's not worth it. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2013's Where. An American man and his young son were brutally killed last night. There is no factual evidence to indicate anything more than an animal attack. At 1452, we apprehended the suspect. The man accused of these crimes, one Talon Gwinnick. He had hair all over his hands. They were huge. He was tearing my boy to pieces. He's my client. I'm defending him. There's a very rare disease called porphyria. And symptoms include excessive body hair, joint pain, muscle weakness. People that have this can barely move. It will prove that you were not capable of committing these crimes. Thank you. They say that he was not human. That he was a man and a beast. You have no idea what you're dealing with. Oh, Get no, them out of there now. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going to let him go. He moves, he's dead. I don't want anyone else to die. Do you let other people die? You ask how a human can do that. My answer is simple. Telling Gwinnick, by the mere definition of the word, is a werewolf. Can we get this out of the way right now? Where is the part of werewolf that doesn't mean anything special? It literally just means human. So when you name your movie Where because you think it sounds cool with no explanation why it's missing that second E. Well, I didn't know if it had something. Is it French? Right, exactly. The now that who made it aren't French. Exactly. So is it a French thing? Is it a South African thing? I don't know. But even still, if we were being generous, the most we can give this movie for naming itself Where is that it was going for that whole, oh, but but man is the real monster Fucking cliche bullshit that is never clever. It's like they went out of their way to try to find a title that's impossible to Google and is utterly meaningless. (laughs) I just remember there was... Okay, Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) I swear to God. I swear to God this is related. Because there is a game called Sonic Unleashed. Where they decided to make Sonic the Hedgehog 
a werewolf. And so there are levels where you're running fast as Sonic the Hedgehog. And then there are other levels where it's nighttime and you're running around as Sonic the Hedgehog, the werewolf. Why? And he gets stretchy arms for some reason. What? <laughs> yes, exactly. But that's not the point. The but why does he turn into a werewolf? Because they were running out of ideas of things to do with Sonic the Hedgehog to make him interesting. Because <laughs> you realize that if the if all the gameplay is just him running fast in 3D environments, the game the gameplay gets really old really fast. So they decided to mix it up with every other level being this Sonic the Werewolf level, but they didn't call him a werewolf. I mean, that wouldn't make any sense because werewolf means literally man-wolf. Wolfman. There you go. Right? So they had to incorporate the fact that he is a hedgehog in the name werewolf. And they decided to go with the term werehog, which literally translates to pig man, <laughs> which is not at all what he is. Because <laughs> they grabbed the wrong part of werewolf, but it's the recognizable part of werewolf. So it and should so, be hedgewolf? And so that's what we use. Yes, it should be hedgewolf. Or something like that. But my point is, is that the only reason people use the term were to, re to refer to werewolf is because it's the part that sounds weird and cool and is instantly identifiable with werewolves. But it's really lazy. And they named their whole fucking movie that. Anyway, let's get that out of the way. We've had that discussion now. Now nobody can comment about how did you know that were means man. <laughs> so how does were begin? A family is camping in France. An American family is camping in France to see a... That's where you go to camp. You could go anywhere you want. They're probably doing like... They're probably backpacking through Europe. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Uh, and you know, America, not known for its camping. <laughs> like 80% of America is just like, just nothing there to do but camp. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. But they're there to see a meteor shower the night oh, of a full yeah, right, moon. Right, right, Does the meteor shower have anything to do with this? Nope. No, but the fact that it's a full moon does. Yes. Their dog, Oscar, runs off and is barking at something. Oh, and I would like to point out that this movie is filled, because this movie doesn't really want you to be afraid of the perpetrator for a long portion of the film, they, they're like, well, we still want this to be a horror movie. So how are we going to incorporate scares, meaningless jump scares? Oh, oh my God. The movie is chock-a-block full of jump scares that go nowhere and do nothing. It's just loud noise, character gets scared, but oh, it's really actually nothing. Yes. It is full of that shit. Yes. So right here, we start with the woman, the mother from this family. Telling the police what happened to her. Yeah. And then it, you know, flashback to what was happening. But that old cliche where she's in a hospital bed and she's weak and she's dying and she's trying to explain what, Kaiser Sosei. <laughs> but my point here being they cut to the found footage portion yes. of the film. Uh -huh. Which apparently was supposed to be more found footage than it actually ended up being. I guess I'm kind of thankful for that. <laughs> and the way that they choose to start their found footage portion is through a scream. Ah! Yeah. And they cut to that, right? And I like as soon as that happened, I was just like, "Oh no." It's going to be a lot of this. And it is. Uh -huh. It is a lot of that. 
Their dog is barking, then their dog is dead. The mother says, I just remember screaming and it eating my boy alive. Then we get a lot of cuts of different media sources talking about what happened. Mm -hmm. And we see that it goes from them thinking it was a brutal animal attack to, oh, this is a murder investigation because she specifically says he, Uh not it, he. So they're like- Why in the moment you would think that this thing was human? Right. Especially when you see what they did to the family. Yeah. It's like, unless I believe in werewolves, which at this point they have no reason to, Uh unless I believe in that, there is no way a human being could have Mm -hmm. done this. But okay. Sure. So then we meet our main character, Kate. She is an American, but she is an attorney in France because her father- And her mother were both human rights lawyers. Yes, but her father was French, so when they divorced, Got it. Mm-hmm. she would spend her whole summers in France. So she loves the culture and the people and right. whatnot. That's why she lives there. We then meet her assistant. Vic Sahay, who plays Eric. Yes, Eric. And when we first meet Eric, oh, we've also met the love interest. Gavin? Probably the only actor I've ever seen before. This is Simon Quarterman. He was in... Westworld is probably where most people know him from. He's the kind of sleazy guy in 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 Westworld who comes up with the scenarios. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. So when we meet him, he's from Britain, so he's British, and he's come here to help them because he. What does he do? He's a he's a um like an animal expert. He's a, he's a medical doctor, but he specializes in animal attacks. I don't think he's a veterinarian or anything, but he specializes in what do animal attacks look like? Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to confirm that this wasn't human, it was actually an animal attack. And that's what he does. Right. And later, Vic, her assistant, will... Oh, Vic is the, is the guy's name, Vic Sahay. He was He's from Chuck... Probably is where anybody would recognize him. His character's name is Eric. Oh, sorry. Eric. Because later in the film, Eric will say, why do we need him? There's plenty of other people we could have used. And it's because Kate and... Gavin. Gavin have some sort of romantic history. Right. But also, he was instrumental in the case where they acquitted some guy in a similar situation by proving that it was actually an animal attack. And so she knows him, she can rely on him, but yes, they haven't seen each other for five years and things ended strangely. We don't know how, but they were an item and now they're not. So when we first meet Eric and Kate, they will have a whole conversation in French and the awkward part is supposed to be that they're doing it in front of Gavin. Yeah. And so once he realizes, oh, you, you're British, you can speak English, then we find out that Eric is also American. Yeah. And why would... People just do, you're in, you're in France, you're, you end up talking French. Like, it's not that big a deal. The point that Kelsey's making is that they talk French to each other when both of their first languages is English. So 
why wouldn't they speak in English, especially when the third person in the room doesn't speak French? Right. And when they realize that they stop, but... but I think it's just there. It's a lazy script writing technique to show the fact that this is why they're going to speak English. They would normally speak French because they're in France, but they're speaking English because they're around this British person. One of the best ways that any movie has ever breached the language barrier is in Hunt for Red October. <laughs> Listen, Sean Connery is in no way believable as Russian, but the character starts speaking Russian, and in the middle of a sentence, it changes into English. And that's the way the movie is telling you, hey, you know what, just, they're speaking Russian, but we know you speak English, so we're just gonna, they're gonna be speaking English. But stop asking the question, why are they speaking English? Because actually... It's just a conceit of the movie that they're speaking Russian and we're translating it in real time for you. And it's really fucking interesting. But this is the way they do it in this movie. Why are they speaking English? Well, because Gavin's British. But the two people we're talking about are American. Isn't that good enough? Nope, apparently not. He's being brought into the investigation and they go and speak with Sebastian Rocher who plays Klaus Pistor. I lied, he's another famous actor, right? Well, we we saw him in Supernatural. Oh, that's it. Okay, never yeah. mind. <laughs> but you recognize him. I mean, he's been in a lot of things, but he's not like a uh, I guess probably nowadays we didn't really watch it, but he was in Man in the High Castle. I know we should watch it. We didn't. We watched, like, the first episode and never got back to it. But, yeah, he's not, like, somebody that everyone knows, but he's potentially someone that, that you recognize. He almost looks like, what if Robert Englund were French? A little bit. Yeah. I can see that. But so she goes in and she's asking, why have you already imprisoned my client without any evidence. And he's like, well, in 48 hours, we're going to have that evidence because we sent in for a DNA test. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. And I'm not even going to try to understand what French policy is over right. imprisonment. we're not going to get so into that. Don't know if that's okay or not, but I assume it is. Well, so. just like in, in American cinema, we talk a lot about how you can hold somebody for 24 hours and if you can't make the case stick within those 24 hours, you have to let them go. So she decides to meet with her client for the first time. She's never met him. Talon, by the way, again, his name is Talon. <laughs> Jesus. I See, I don't know enough about South Africa or France or Romania. That could be a normal name in any of those countries. That's fine. <sighs> That's like in America, if you had a character who, under a full moon, transformed into a giant penis, and you decided that you wanted to name that character Richard. Like, come on. A little on the nose. I don't care if Richard is a common name. Everyone knows it means dick. <laughs> In the same way, I don't care if Talon is a normal French name or a normal... What's the other area? Romanian or South African? Romanian name... Or whatever. I don't care. Everyone knows, especially the English-speaking audience, that Talon is another name for a claw. <laughs> Come on. So they bring him in, and he has this full-blown muzzle on, which is this whole thing that constricts his his torso as well as his mouth. Mm-hmm. And because she just thinks this is all nonsense, she's just like, remove that immediately. Well, it's also like a... 
it it hits her in her this isn't right bone. And so it doesn't matter if it's a good idea or not. It's not right. And so you need to take that off of him. Well, let me just ask you, if you had known he was a werewolf, would you still think that's not right? Or what, are you suggesting that the police know he's a werewolf? No, I am not. I'm just <laughs> saying, if you knew that, would you still think it was wrong? What we know, what we find out by the end of the movie is that it just happens to be that he's a werewolf. They don't arrest him because they think he did it. They arrest him because they think they can pin it on him. Yes. They don't think he did it. They just want to get rid of him. I don't know that that's true because there. So, okay, guys, there's there's this, there's this whole subplot going on, which is an interesting subplot. It is that they I, overplay. I, I think yes, it's overplayed, and but at the same time, they never really come to terms with it. Like yes. it never gets faced. It always uh-huh. gets brushed off, and then we never find out what happened. There's this whole subplot where this family from Romania lives on this land, okay? And this land, they want to buy it for a what? Okay, so uh, the the land underneath their property is like dense clay, and it's perfect for disposing of radioactive waste. And if you can sell land for disposing of radioactive waste, you can make a lot of money. And the, the city stands to make over 30 million euros by letting... That land be used for the disposal of radioactive waste. But there is this family that lives there who refuses to sell. So it's a land dispute subplot. But we find out through the course of the movie that Pistor and his like deputy dude are involved in a plot to get these people off the land. Pistor is on the board that's try- for the city that's trying to sell this land for use of waste. Yes, there is a lot of evidence to lead you to believe that he is part of this, but we never get confirmation on it. I, I mean, it's the movie is pretty clear by the end that, yes, he did. They did. They drugged the guy, the dad of this family. So he got into a car accident and died. And then he was the cop that investigated that death. And he brushes it off as saying, oh, a judge said it was okay. But I think the judge was related to the deal, too. Yes. So it's just a lot of improper dealing and conflicts of interest. Yes. And now he's also working the case where where they arrested the son of this very same man, leaving just the mother home alone. And eventually, you know, they're just trying to drive these people off their land. That is this subplot. I say just. It's not an okay thing. And it's not a small thing, but it's it's weird. The movie keeps bringing it up, but then doesn't do anything with it. Like, yes, ever. It's just an explanation. Yes, exactly. That's all it was ever used. But for. this is my point. They're just arresting the guy because they want to get rid of him. They don't actually think he's a werewolf. The idea that anyone is a werewolf is ridiculous right now. In this, but in this they point. haven't even they're not questioning whether he's a werewolf. They just think he's a crazy person that's eating people who managed to rip bodies in half. Absolutely. But we never get confirmation on whether or not these police officers truly believe that he is capable of right. doing this. You're right. We never find that out. Because the implication is that they're doing this, they have ulterior motives. Right. But if- It's not even an implication. It's flat out said. That's the explanation. He doesn't admit that. You don't need him to admit it for it to be true. It, here's That's the point. It's hard to wrap my mind around this because- 
usually, you know, you have this evidence, but the problem is, is that this is deniable because we know what he is. Yeah, but this is the, <laughs> but this is the purpose of recusal. <laughs> if you understand that there is a conflict of interest, whether you think that you're actually going to act on this conflict or not doesn't matter because there is potential for it. You're supposed to recuse yourself and he does not, which is an indictment of him. And it reinforces the idea that there is corruption going on here. The movie is not shy about saying, yes, Pistor is a bad person who is doing bad things for bad reasons. But he's right. <laughs> that's the hard part. But that's my point. He's right by happenstance. <laughs> He just happens to be right, but not for the right reasons and not because he came to the right conclusion and not because he did any police work, but because he was a bully. She also asks that his hands be uncuffed. They have a conversation. I don't think she gets a lot out of him here. They they say that she has five minutes and just as That's she's right. getting somewhere and she she asks about his father, and as soon as he's about to say something about his father, then the cops come rushing in. No, 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 your, your interview's done. Yes. But what does he do? As they're trying to, you know, cuff him again and she's about to leave, he grabs her by the arm and says, help me. And okay. then everyone loses their goddamn mind. Yes. At this point, he's done practically nothing. He's just terrifying. He's scary. He's a big, big... We have not described him. He is a big man. Uh-huh. Not, like, large, like, round or anything. Not like, broad. tall and, like... Muscular. Big, like his hands are enormous. His nails are enormous. Uh -huh. His his teeth are quite big. Not big enough to do what they do. No, and they explain. They explain that their teeth aren't actually that big. This disease he has causes the gums to recede. Just makes them look big. They're just oh. human teeth. And this is a big problem with this movie. And he is covered in hair. And when we say covered, not like cousin it, but... As much as Just you can dense imagine. hair over every square inch of his body. Yeah. Yes. Long, thin hair. Yeah. If I had to guess, I would imagine this is what Stephen King probably was originally imagining for Silver Bullet. Prob I would say it's probably more dense hair, but that's kind of what we got. You know, it's just well, a Well, he it's has just a, a full-blown wolf yeah, face. He, yeah, he has a wolf face, but he's just a dude covered in hair. Yes. Otherwise, in Silver Bullet. And so that's kind of what we have here. It's just... The hair isn't as dense. The only big problem... Just picture a hairy dude and that's what you got. The only big problem He's is... He's fucking mutton chops. The mouth. <laughs> that's the problem. Because the human mouth cannot do what they say it can do. Uh -huh. Yep. So, he grabs her, says, help me. Which causes Gavin to flip the fuck out. Uh-huh. Well, because he's obsessed with her and he's still <laughs> in love with her. And he's, like, going to go to blows against this giant dude. But really all he's trying to do is put himself between her and him. Which, this is leading up to the end of the film. Yes. But at this point, he has no reason to freak out the way yes. that he does. There are tons of police in, like, riot gear here. He does not and need to get himself injected. electrocute the shit out of this guy. Yeah. And it's it's terrible and it's upsetting. And from like a human rights perspective, you're like, wow, this is really this fucking sucks. Yes. And they don't even know how strong he is. No. That's the funny thing is that later you're going to be like, oh, yeah, they probably should have done that. But they don't know that. Yet. Right. And, you know, he's touching somebody when there shouldn't be any contact, but they way overreact. Yes. And here's the problem. Supposedly in this scuffle, somewhere in this scuffle. She's supposed to lose her necklace, and he is supposed to be able to get it. But 
She's never touched beyond on the arm. Well, we and then he immediately gets electrocuted. No, later we do see Gavin watching the video and he slows it down. No, it's Eric that watches the video. Oh, okay. He slows it down and he sees that Talon bites Gavin. That's all that he sees. Well, it's funny because you say that. That's not what I saw when I watched that. That's what he watches over and over again is that he bites him on the arm. What I was paying Mm -hmm. attention to, because this is what I thought I was supposed to be paying attention to, was her. Uh I thought this was when he was going to get the necklace from her. So Uh that's what I was paying attention to. But he never does, right? Which is why I didn't see that he bit Gavin. Uh But my point is, in the scuffle... She's it's when it's done in slow mo. She turns, and you can kind of see Talon's arm is kind of in the way. So I think the implication is supposed to be that it comes off, and he grabs it in that moment. Okay, but it's very unbelievable. Yeah. So anyway, because especially since they electrocute him after that, you think he'd be able to hold on to it, <laughs> right? And you think they wouldn't be able to see it yeah. on him when they handcuff him, and yeah, it's anyway. Well, we get our second jump scare in the movie with an animal running across the street for no reason. Mm -hmm. This will lead to nothing. (laughs) Just tons of this fake jump scare bullshit. Yes. And and at this point, I was writing, I guess this is just what they have to give us until we get a werewolf. (laughs) Yes. But no. So they go to speak with his mom. Who explains that she's from Romania, and why is Romania important? Because that's where the original werewolf stories come from. It's the Wolfman and all that. Yes. She explains that there's no way it could have been her son, because he was sick that night. Uh Uh-huh, and when he's sick, he can barely move. Mm Mm-hmm. He was home that night. He was very sick. He did not live. He couldn't. Sick how? Talon's condition... He can't move. Can't even get out of bed for days sometimes. No explanation to that. It's just that she's lying. She's lying. Yes. So later, when they get mad at them for saying, you said you'd help him, about Talon. Yeah. Because Talon is going to change his personality pretty pretty much on a dime there. Uh She'll get mad and be like, you said that you were going to help them. And I'm like... Why are you mad at them? You lied to them. Like, I don't... Well, because she she doesn't want anything bad to happen to her son, and you can't blame her for that. I'm just so sick of... I, I just... People that are hypocrites make me insane. They, uh-huh. they make me just want to just kill somebody, particularly <laughs> them. And I'm so, um, I've seen so much of this in everyday life these days. Like, I just have so many... I just know too many hypocrites. Yeah. I guess that's what's happening here. Uh-huh. It just makes me just insanely angry. But whatever. She explains that it is an illness that is passed down through the men. Oh, I remember. Occasionally, yeah. I, I remember why I brought that up. Later, the indication. There's a lot of confusion here. Okay. First, we have the mom who's acting like he's an angel. Well, we decide he's a, she's a liar. Okay, well, that's Well, he not. is an angel until he changes. Yeah. Then when he changes during the full moon, he eats people. Okay, got that, get it. But then the indication is that he didn't eat people because they've never heard about anybody else having this happen to them. But then later, they'll go into his den and they will find what looks like human remains all over the place. Yes. There is is a conflict of the story there. I don't know what is happening. He doesn't start killing until his father dies. 
That's the point. Normally, when he gets this way, he just stays in bed and he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't do anything and he doesn't have this rage. And then his father dies and this change makes him become angry and turn into this wild man rage thing. And that's what causes these deaths to start happening. So when, yes, I have a lot of questions about this fucking den. Where did all these bones come from and who do they belong to? No explanation. But yeah, the point is, we're giving you a little spoiler here. Who gives a shit? But Pistor killed his dad. And so Pistor is really the one that's responsible for all this. I mean, he's responsible for the inciting incident that caused him, that caused Talon to start killing people. That's what I will say. So we we do believe that he didn't start eating people until after I his do, father was because killed? there's because the movie says nothing about anything that happened before then. Uh, exactly, that's and, what I'm saying. And that's the we better story. About, we didn't hear about any other deaths and that the, have happened since his father died. Right, but the implication is throughout the movie, I think there's even a point where they say something about it, is that this stuff happened because Pistor knocked down that first domino. This all started because the government wanted this land and they wanted to take it if they couldn't get it through legal means. I don't that's think how they this do. all started. I Otherwise, what the fuck is the point of this subplot? I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think the movie did a good enough job of, uh-huh. of making things clear. Yeah, listen, I'm not trying to defend this movie. I hated this movie. Because there's a lot of I'm, I'm there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of things that don't mesh well in this film. It's just funny because we're we're getting into all the stuff we hate about the movie. This is the part of the movie that we liked that we're talking about right now. And the problem is is that the stuff that comes later that we didn't like makes all the stuff that we did like worse by association. And it makes it not make sense. Yeah. So anyway. But she explains that it passed us down through the men, but his dad died last year, and they think it's over the land. So we get all that information. While there, what happens? Somebody throws a rock through the window, and it says, like, killer or murderer or something like that. Yes, and that makes the mother absolutely hysterical. She starts screaming. Uh So they start doing research, and Gavin looks into... Uh, he ends up finding out what he thinks is the disease because nobody knows what it is that Talon has. And the disease is porphyria. And this is a disease that you find out that people that were in quote unquote freak shows actually had. It's, you know, that thing that causes all the hair to grow all over every square inch of your body. And like the wolf boys and, and carnival acts and stuff like that ended up having this stuff. Usually porphyria is inherited, but you can get it even if you didn't inherit it. They talk about how we can test him for it, but we would need to take him to a special facility. The way you test is by testing blood, urine, and or stool. This movie gets it kind of half right because you test the blood, the urine, and the stool. But the best way to make sure that your tests are as accurate as possible is because porphyria causes seizures as well, is to collect one of those three things in the middle of an attack. And so they're going to eventually try to take him to a facility, get him strapped down, and then try to induce a seizure in order to take this, in order to check. But they also do this eye slide thing, and that's really fucking gross. I did not enjoy it. No. I do not enjoy medical procedure type things. But they do, they think they know what is the disease that he has. Somewhere around here, she discovers that she's lost her necklace. Uh-huh. Gavin will try to get her to go out and drink with him, uh-huh. uh, but she's not interested. And Eric's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? 
Yeah, and you might be thinking that Eric is somehow like interested romantically in her, but it doesn't Not seem like it. It seems like maybe he just doesn't He's protective like, of her. I guess. But but we find out, Gavin finds out that Eric was investigating him and looking into him and that upsets gavin he knows that he did it because he's he lied and said he's in a relationship Uh uh-huh and eric says no you're not he's like what are you talking about no you're not he's like were you investigating me without my knowledge what the fuck and then gavin as he leaves asks eric why is it again that you aren't doing law in america and then he just leaves right okay so first of all we know that Gavin knows something about Eric, which means he did his own investigation, which means why the fuck are you mad at Eric for investigating you mm-hmm. when you're also lying? Again, hypocrite, right? Mm-hmm. Gavin leaves. And then Eric is upset that he investigated him after having just admitted to investigating Gavin and that it was in the best interest of him and his organization and Kate to have done so. Then when he finds out he was investigated and that he did something shady in his past and that people found out, he gets upset about it. Like, it's just a bunch of hypocrites being hypocrites. Yes. Very angry. What we find out is that Eric sold privileged information or something like that. And so he lost his license to practice law in America. And that's why he moved to France. What does it have to do with anything? Fucking nothing. It's just an explanation for why we have Americans in France. So the next day, Kate and Gavin are going to go and investigate the bodies of the the campers. And while there, that's when P-Store will explain that the judge feels that that whole thing is irrelevant. So why are you bringing it up? And they're like, uh, because this is some bullshit. That's why we're bringing it up. Right. And we're putting it in our report to the to the court. And yeah. And he says to job. them, remember who's on trial? And she goes, no one's on trial right now, yeah. asshole. No, yeah. He is just the epitome of an asshole cop who's totally privileged and think and thinks that he must always be right because he's the cop. Yes. So they pull out the bodies, they make everybody else leave, so it's just Kate and Gavin. And Gavin, pretty much immediately, is just like, there's no evidence of weaponry. This was purely done by animals, because humans can't do this. Yes. There's also a discernible bite pattern. Consistent with a large animal attack. The left femur being completely exposed. Bottom jaw has been completely ripped away. Also, the tongue been partially consumed. Moving down here to the femur, there's evidence of severe mauling. <laughs> Once again, no evidence of any type of weaponry. And the same bite pattern. An animal did this. The movie says it. Uh-huh. And then the movie just says, fuck it. <laughs> now, your your instinct might be to argue, well, yeah, but we find out that he's a werewolf. It's magic, man. Yes. He gets massive amounts of strength from his lycanthropy. And we're fine with that. We're fine with that. But the movie says that it is impossible. Yeah, it talks about the, the pounds per square inch thing, right? Which he may find magically... Lycanthropy goes beyond physics and says that he has enough pressure in his in his jaw muscles or whatever to make these bites. 
I'm fine with that. But he still has a human fucking mouth. It doesn't <laughs> extend. It doesn't transform. Nothing changes. He still has human teeth. These are all things that that are human about him and that it doesn't matter how much pressure you put on, on things. They are physically incapable of accomplishing these tasks. His mouth <laughs> cannot open wide enough and his teeth would fucking break before they could do some of the stuff that they do. He literally bites off faces <laughs> in one bite. Think of a human mouth doing that. Like he he bites through an entire skull. Open your mouth right now. How well, big can I'm your mouth tiny. get? Right, right, right. And even though he's big, can you fit a whole human head in your mouth? No. <laughs> and they never explain that. It's ridiculous that I get so angry about this, but I just do. Because the movie is fucking lazy. It's telling you one thing, and then it changes its mind on that with no explanation. Here's the thing. You can look up human bites online, uh -huh. and you can totally see what a human bite is capable of doing, and it is not capable of doing these I things. I know, but he does say it's a, it's a pressure issue. In order to – a human skull can withstand X amount of PSI. And a human bite can only do this much PSI. And I don't care how strong your muscles are. There's still other elements involved more than just the strength of your bite in this interaction that they never explain. They just, ah, oh, he has now, it's, it, it requires a lot of pressure. And when he's a werewolf, he has the ability to apply that pressure. And that's their only explanation. But there's still other things that need to physically occur that they never explain. Like, how is his mouth so big? Did his teeth actually get stronger? But we see them later. They just, they don't change. And they said before, his teeth aren't changing at all. They're not bigger than normal. His gums are just receding. He still has normal human teeth. Like, <laughs> this is my point. The movie tells you this. And then it introduces something which makes that impossible. It's magic, man. And then no explanation. The point is, is that this movie tries to firmly root itself in reality. Later on, when Eric starts deciding that, oh my God, he's actually a werewolf, he doesn't say he's really a werewolf. The conclusion that he comes to is that this is where the werewolf legend comes from, that actually werewolves might be people with porphyria and the moon when there's a full oh god this is the explanation i'm going to i know this is out of order but this is the explanation okay but let's take a breather uh -huh. and remember it is absolutely true that things a lot of things go up um, yeah, yeah, yeah. medical yeah, incidents that's not my go point. up crime that's not my goes point up. they say that and i understand that but again correlation does not equal causation <laughs> what he is saying is that the moon actually causes this behavior and his explanation, this motherfucker's explanation is that, well, we know the moon has an effect on tides and the human body is like 60% water. I don't remember. Ergo. I don't remember this explanation. Yes, it's in there. Ergo, the moon is what gives him this strength. Why it doesn't give the strength to everybody? Never explain. You have to have that disease. There have been these studies done on epileptics where a full moon triggers these like prolonged seizures. They have these violent outbursts and they get almost this like superhuman strength. It has something to do with water. You know how like the moon affects the tides, right? Mm -hmm. Well, human beings have like almost like 60% water. I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? They even have a name for it. It's called the lunar effect. Okay, so... <laughs> so you think he becomes what he is under the influence of the moon. 
The I wrote that this is my note. Wait, the explanation is that moons affect the water and human bodies like the tides, <laughs> which gives them superpowers. This is a real weak attempt to make lycanthropy quote unquote real, especially when they make zero effort to explain how. Here's the rest of my note where I was talking about earlier. A decidedly human mouth, superpowers or no, could cause the damage it does as quickly as it does. Like the movie is trying to make a what if werewolves, but science. And it it just is weak ass attempts that fall apart upon cursory examination. And they Not made a movie as, out of it. Not as good as The Flight of Dragons. No. <laughs> We've been watching The Flight of the Dragons. And they explain how dragons work. They make science make it happen. Mm-hmm. That they build up the, the hydrogen heats up inside of them, which causes them to expand. Also, it makes them lighter than air. Probably not actually physically possible, but it's interesting. And then and then when they want to descend, they exhale that in the form of fire. And that causes it expels that hydrogen gas, which causes them to then sink again. But it's a kid's cartoon, which tries to explain that, oh, there is a scientific explanation for this. And you have to make a sort of leap in logic and that's okay. In this, they're trying to say, no, this is all explainable by science. And it's really piss poor, shitty science in an attempt to make this real for human adults. <laughs> I do love, I, I want to point this out. This this made me laugh genuinely. Uh so they bring out the first body, and they're looking at it. They bring out the second body, which is of the young boy. Uh-huh. So he was probably a lot easier to eat. So he comes out, and th- there's only half of the torso left. Yeah, it's basically everything above the ribs is what he- is what exists. And when they pull it out, Gavin's just like, right. <laughs> <laughs> there's also a fake jump scare where the father's arm moves. Yes. Oh, God! They thought, oh, it's going to come to life. You thought for a split second there might be, like, maybe he turned into a werewolf and he finally just changed and he's coming back to life? Nope. No. Just immediately a nurse comes in and goes, what's the big deal? (laughs) And then he's like, at least, at least we get the aftermath where he's like, oh, God. Oh, God, that scared the fucking piss out of me. And so we're... We're character building, and we're like, oh, there was a lot of tension in the moment right here. And it was not just for the sake of the movie, but in that moment with these characters, there was tension in the room. I'm fine with that. That's probably the best fake jump scare in the movie, but that's not saying a lot. So they go to tell Talon, we think we know what's wrong with you. We've got to take you to this other hospital to do all this stuff to you. And she asks him, what is it like... When you have these episodes. And he's like, I don't know. I don't remember. And she's like, oh, that's okay. We call those blackouts. And we never get confirmation on whether or not he's actually blacked out or not. Whereas Uh in Silver Bullet, we're told 100% he is fully aware of what he's doing. Yeah. And we can't trust this character. So there's, we never really know. Except that there are a couple of times when he almost stops. Yeah, so it might be that he is still conscious when he's transformed. They don't tell us. Because he makes, he's aware of things in his werewolf form that he learned as a human. And I will get to that when we get to that moment. So anyway, he hands her back her necklace and is like, oh, it was bent. I straightened it for you. It was her father's ring. And this is where they find out that her dad died too. 
So they have a connection. You're right. I guess I'll just get to it now. This movie has a motherfucking Martha moment. In Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh. Why did you say that name? There's one of these moments where Batman decides not to kill Superman because they both have a mother named Martha. (laughs) And Batman has mommy issues. And so it causes him to pause. Later on in the movie, there will be a moment when the transformed Talon is going to kill Kate. And then he remembers that she had a dad who died too. And that gives him pause because he has daddy issues. Cannot believe there's a Martha moment in this movie. Now, it's not like this movie was made in 2013. And it's not like Batman v Superman owns this concept or anything like that. It's just what it makes me think of. And it makes me laugh. And that's not good. (laughs) We get another jump scare of a guy kicking in a door that leads to nothing. Yep. Yeah, they're watching footage of him being arrested, and we get to that footage by, bam, kicking a door. Yes. Well, what happens that makes them almost think that it can't be Talon? You remember this part of the film? This is so fucking dumb. It's really dumb. So. Pointless. (laughs) Talon is locked up, and then they get another call while the lawyers, oh, God, okay, so while the lawyers and one doctor- (laughs) are with P-Store. They get a call of another report that sounds very similar to the one that started this movie off. There's a big hairy monster on two legs and it tore apart all my horses. Yes, eating livestock. Yes. Okay. And Kate's like, I think we should go with you. And P-Store's like, yes, I think you better had. (laughs) And... Because that makes sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why would he take them? Okay, I understand that this might be related to the case and that defense attorneys have a right to this knowledge. They do not have a right to be there in the moment in a dangerous situation. Movies and And potentially interfere with an investigation. Need to stop putting someone who has something to do with police work. Right. In these these moments of, like, arrest. Yes, like CSI. all the time. One of our favorite television shows, (laughs) Hannibal, does it. Yes. In the first season, there's a moment where they send these... Crime scene investigators. No, they're not crime scene investigators even. They perform autopsies. They're coroners. And the coroners are going on these sting investigations. Like, no! Stop it! Like, come on. We understand that their job does not require them to be there. Do not put our characters in these scenes that they don't belong in. This is also where it starts to take this weird turn because the movie, like we said before, transforms into something that's like, oh, it's a mystery. It's a legal drama involving a werewolf. This is going to be interesting. And then it's just like, no, we're an action movie now. And that's the point. The reason these shows do these things is because they need action beats and they need our main characters to be there. And so they're like, eh, they're cops. They have badges. (laughs) Maybe they're the ones that do this. And it's totally ridiculous. But this is one step even further. And this is defense attorneys now who are going to be involved in these scenarios. And that the cop who doesn't even like them agrees to take them along on this trip. And this will continue to happen for the rest of the fucking movie. There will be scenario after scenario after scenario when there is no way in hell these lawyers would be allowed to be there. And yet they are. And they're given weird accommodations. Yes. Like, hey, do you want me to give you a ride? 
Like that kind of shit. Anyway. But what do they find? They find a bear. This gigantic bear. He's just a bear. And they kill this bear. They shoot it dead. He's just trying to do his berry thing. I understand. It's very sad. But the reason this is so infuriating is because then Pistor says there hasn't been a bear in this area for a hundred years. And this is also a perfect explanation of maybe this is what happened to this family at the beginning of the movie. They were just mauled by a bear, and because it was standing on its two legs, this traumatized woman wasn't able to accurately identify what it was. Got it. But then it turns out that it's not, that Talon is in fact a werewolf, and he did in fact kill these people, and they never explain where the fuck this bear came from. Yeah, they never bring it up again. But they killed a bear. Yep. They just needed this sort of red herring, and the worst red herring is the red herring that makes the most sense, and that Occam's razor says is in fact the thing, and then you say no, but it's not, and then you never explain why that original red herring is just a red herring and isn't in fact the thing that did it. Like, it's the worst kind of red herring. Meanwhile, Gavin is noticing a lot of things happening. He's not feeling too good. Yeah, he's getting exhausted. He can't focus. He gets angry. Yes, he gets aggressive. I wrote, he'll change. (laughs) I can't remember the exact line, but in American Werewolf in London, when the doctor is talking to the dude in the pub, Uh he'll change. That's enough. (laughs) It's almost full moon. He'll change. That's enough. That's enough. Feels very much like that. And he also finds out this is when he discovers, because I'm not feeling very good, and I better look this up. Yeah, that disease can be be spread. Spread via bodily fluids. Yes. And this is when Eric discovers that he was bit. Yeah. So Eric watches that security footage over again and sees that he's bit. I want to point out that Talon is officially evil. Once we find out, once we are confirmed that he bit Gavin, not when the moon was full, not when he was changed, nothing. He bit Gavin. We know he's a bad guy. He doesn't know who Gavin is. He never saw Gavin before in his life. But still, he bites people knowing full well what he is. I don't think he, well, he doesn't know what disease he has and he doesn't know how he can transmit it. And usually the people he bites, he kills. And I think it's just his immediate response to there's this aggressive person who's, put his body in the way of my mouth, which is what I use as my weapon. I think that's a reasonable response of a wild animal. And that's what this is about. It's not a conscious decision. And again, he doesn't know anything about what disease he has. So I I don't think that that's conclusive. Talon is evil, but in a weird sort of self-defensive way. Okay. But anyway. This is when they take him to the hospital. Yeah, they're not going to let him go, even though they have this bear. But they're still going to test him because they have to. And because this is the defense. The defensive is if he has porphyria, then he wouldn't be able to move physically in the way that's required to fit these descriptions. And that's exculpatory evidence, right? And so they strap him in and they drag the slide across his eye as an initial test. And it changes purple. So they're like, well, the initial test is positive. Right. But we need to be conclusive. Right. That could be a false positive. So they need to induce a seizure, which he does have sometimes. And so they flash this light and then he starts having the seizure. But the the seizure is weird. Something's wrong with the seizure and they don't explain what's wrong with the seizure. He's seizing and they're like, something's wrong. And it's like, 
You were trying to induce a seizure. Yeah, they are, they do not explain what is going wrong here, but yes. something is going wrong. But something is going wrong, and nobody turns off the fucking light. They just let it going. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We got to stop this. Even the person in charge is like, we have to stop. And nobody turns the light off. Well, it's All... like when she's stuck in the... In yes, the exactly. Tanning bed. Turn it off. Yes, exactly. But it's like, you are performing a medical procedure that you know is going to cause a seizure. A seizure happens, and now suddenly something's going wrong. That's already weird, right? But... You know you're doing something that's going to cause a physical reaction in something. And when that physical reaction goes wrong, your first instinct is not to stop that thing. <laughs> Keep in mind, he hasn't broken out of his restraints yet. He hasn't done anything violent yet. You just have a man on a table tied down who might be in danger. And your immediate response is not to turn off the fucking lights. It's the stupidest fucking thing. Even when the person in charge knows that something's going wrong. You're performing a procedure. Procedure goes wrong. Stop procedure. Well, before anything can happen, he, he busts out. Busts out and he starts ripping people in half, throwing people across the room. Which is fine. This part I'm is I'm okay fine. with that. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, it was like, okay, they've, they've brought something out in him. Maybe it was the flashing of the light, remind like something to do with the moon. I don't fucking know. But okay, now he's got this strength and he's able to kill these people. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with this. Yeah. Because he's not eating these people. He is just trying to get out of the situation. And it's that classic thing, you know, where they tie people to bungee cords and yank them backwards. You know, it's those moments like you might see in an X-Men movie. You know, he just swats them and then they go flying across the room. And then he escapes. And Kate is devastated. And she's like crying because all these people are dead. And Pistor is like, this is your fault. Okay. And she's like, yes, I know. I didn't know this was going to happen. And she like <laughs> accepts responsibility and she lets the cops shame her. And it's like, wait a minute. In order for this to make sense, that you are responsible, okay, you are a defense attorney, and your client might have a disease, and that disease could get him acquitted. It is your responsibility to determine whether or not he has this disease, and it is nowhere in the realm of possibility that he might become a werewolf. <laughs> so when that happens, you don't go, oh my god, I did a bad. You go, holy shit, he's a werewolf. <laughs> could have anticipated that <laughs> that's the appropriate reaction <laughs> that was not my fault that went down <laughs> way faster than it should have <laughs> yes uh, don't let the cop shame you for you to be in the wrong it would have to be reasonable to expect your disabled client has superpowers that was my note and then we get this explanation that Eric has because he's been looking up werewolves on the internet <laughs> and now he's an expert so he, he, he got away Right. And they don't know where he went. We then. Yeah. So Eric, like Chris said, is going to do some research. <laughs> and when Kate, when he tell, tries to tell Kate what he's found, he instead of just explaining it to her, he finds it necessary to show her little clips. Yes. <laughs> like, look at what I found. Look at this information. This it's person like, is saying something on video. It must be real. Exactly. And it's like a, <laughs> these stupid little clips of the lunar effect. And it's like, yeah, uh -huh. you could have just told her that. We did not need these stupid little clips of media. Why is this in the movie? Uh -huh. It's pretty bad. You know how people say like the full moon can make people go like mad, like crazy? Yeah. Okay. So watch this. Put lunar in the word lunatic, but... 
Do we really know what effect the moon has on our lives? Okay. The sky was so bright. There was a full moon. And then they find out that they found him. He's in some sort of building like somewhere. Like a warehouse? I don't know. No, it's like an abandoned office building or something like that. So they're going to go well, Under construction. In and Wait, wait. Before we get in, Eric and Kate decide they need to be there. Yes. And Gavin says to her, haven't you helped him kill enough people? Yes, which is so fucked. But Gavin is under duress because he realizes that he's going to become a werewolf too. So I'll give him a pass on and this. And he's probably changing, so he's becoming aggressive. But but there is no room for a defense attorney in this scenario. No. There is no reason for her to be involved. None. And yet she feels the need to be involved. And yet she cannot articulate why she feels the need to she be there. She says she feels responsible. And I'm like, she I don't know why that means says, you have to be there. She says... Well, Gavin says, "You haven't you helped him kill enough people? And she says, oh, I'm not defending him. I am done defending him. Okay, then why are you going? Why are you going? <laughs> but what does Gavin do? He stays and he needs to test himself, right? So he gets a glass slide. Apparently, he only has one of them. He is a doctor. <laughs> and he has only one glass slide. Oh, my God. But he's going to drag this across his cornea. And in a gross-out, torture-porny moment, which is totally unnecessary, he drops the glass slide, and it shatters. It doesn't shatter. It just kind of breaks in half long ways. Yeah, it just breaks. Which is, which is not realistic. There's anyway. no reason that he would need to do what he does. Yes. He then doesn't get a new one. He drags this broken slide across his eye, but not the flat part of the slide like was done to Talon. Yeah. He literally slices his eye open with the jagged part. Like he turns the slide pointy part towards his eye and slides that across his eye. And then this is never mentioned again. Hey, why are you bleeding from your eyeball? Never mentioned. He just, it, they just needed a moment where something gross happened. Yes. But anyway, I, this is my note. My full note here is whoops. The movie's falling apart now. <laughs> my next note. I don't remember what was happening, but my next note is damn it. I was enjoying this. Yeah, so our next scene is a total action scene within that office building that we were describing. Uh-huh. Where it's it's kind of kept in the dark a little bit. So I was wondering the whole time. I was like, I see. So they're going to make it where he only changes when you can't see it. Yeah. Right? Because it's kind of dark in there. And he's he's eating people. So you, you're thinking, ah, budget problems couldn't work it into the film, so we're only going to have him do maiming in the dark. No. No, they're not. They, they will show you that he's doing this with his normal ass teeth. Yes. Why? Y you had an out. Mm -hmm. It's a cheap out, but you had one. Uh-huh. No, they put it right there on the screen. There is a really... With really bad digital blood effects, by the way. Like, really bad. There is a very cool shot where i forget why but they chase him and he ends up jumping out of the window or he yeah. falls but he just kind of he, he smashes through a window up m many stories up and then he falls straight down and he lands on this van no he lands on the ground on all fours 
And it was Oh wait, no, dope. a body landed on another body landed on the van. I thought I thought he landed on the van and then he jumped off, but you're right. He starts to fall like he's tumbling and then he twists in midair like a cat and then lands on his on his feet. Superhero landing, superhero landing. <laughs> but not on his knee. No, 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 no. Just on his on feet. all fours. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Like a cat. Yeah. And it's very cool. Uh-huh. It's actually a really cool shot. But then everyone looks at this guy. He snarls and you can see his human ass teeth. Bad choices. They never explain, by the way, how he can live through gunshots. They don't have silver bullets. You're bringing in external knowledge into this movie. They never mention weakness to silver. Right. We have projectiles that are moving at fast speeds that rip apart flesh. Is his flesh metal now? Why is it that these aren't hurting him? Well. But you could say that about any werewolf movie. Why do they only react badly but to silver But other bullets? werewolf movies are not trying to make this shit real. They're not using the lunar effect and <laughs> water in people's bodies. And he has he has porphyria. Like, they're trying to make it scientific. And then he gets shot. And there's no explanation why any of that would prevent him from collapsing right then and there. Why his heart can't be pierced by a bullet. Because he has porphyria, which makes him hairy. <laughs> These are good points. These are good questions. So anyway, he gets away again. <laughs> and so they go to his house. To speak to his mother. Yes. For some reason. She's nowhere to be found. But the lawyers are still fucking there. Only now Gavin has caught up to them. So we also have the defense doctor, the animal doctor. But Kate will go off on her <sighs> own I wrote. they're investigating the house. Why hasn't Pistor kicked them out yet? Why is he letting them into active Crime scenes. (laughs) They're just letting her walk around the family property where they think he might be, and they haven't looked everywhere yet. They do try to clean that up by saying that she went off on her own and she wasn't supposed to do that. But how did she do that? Yeah, how was she able to do that? (laughs) She goes into the barn where eventually a cop will come in and goes, you're not supposed to be here. Like, why weren't you there? You have tons of cops. Why haven't you checked the fucking barn yet? Because they needed another jump scare in the form of a pig. Yes. (laughs) Oh, this is where the werehog wraps around. (laughs) She goes in and she thinks that the mom is in there and is like, you know, Mrs. Talent, whatever her name is. (laughs) (laughs) She grabs an axe, though. Yes. I liked that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not a complete idiot. She thinks, hey, maybe the mom can change, too. (laughs) Let me grab this axe. And something comes running out and it's just a giant pig. Another fake jump scare. And then the cops come in and are like, what are you doing in here? But then they hear something. Yes. And then Talon who's in the upper level of this barn, just starts reaching down and pulling dudes up by the head, which is okay. I'm fine with that. It's like the shot that's on the poster for this movie. Yes. Except in that, he's reaching down towards Kate. Yes, which is not not what happens. No. He's just taking officers, and he's doing it stealthy. He's super, super silent about it. He's, oh my God. (laughs) I want you to think back. Gavin got bit by Talon, and Eric found out about it, and he's the only one that found out about it. He's worried about him changing. We know that Talon is a superhuman. We know that Eric has fully bought into this lunar effect conspiracy theory. Why isn't he flipping out about the fact that Gavin's here now? Why isn't he like, he was bit? Well, he does grab him. Eventually. And force him to show that. Why isn't that his primary concern? And then when Eric refuses to show it, he just drops it. He'll change. Yes, thank you. And he leaves, he, Eric leaves Gavin and Kate alone now, where Gavin gives Kate a gun 
and tells her to shoot him when he changes. Where, where did you get that? It just doesn't matter. If I do anything, you use the gun. Okay? Okay. Gavin gives Kate a gun. She asks him, where did you get that? And he says, it doesn't matter. Now, this feels like that time travel excuse from Looper, where it's like, we'd be talking about this all day. I don't want to talk about it. So there are scenarios where I would be okay with this. It'd be cheeky. And it'd be like, oh, that's fun. Who cares? We just need a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie has not earned that. (laughs) This is dumb as shit. France is not like an open carry country or anything either. So it's not like he, they're in America and he happens to have Did a gun. Did you look this up? Well, I just know that they're not. How do you know that? Why do you know that? No civilian may carry any weapons in a public place. You have to have a permit to carry it for a year at a time with a limited number of rounds that you can buy. And you have to prove that you are exposed to exceptional risk to your life. France is not a gun country. But they go hunting and stuff. You can't carry those guns in public is my point. Okay. Where would he get this handgun? Why would uh, he have this handgun? Well, he's from Britain. Also, not a gun country. Their police don't carry guns. I know. So, like, my point is there are, there are exceptional circumstances and we're not talking about magic here. And the movie has failed in the past to build up trust in the viewer and now it's just saying it doesn't matter and expects me to fucking swallow that (laughs) no i refuse to you have not earned this movie otherwise it would have been fun you are a lazy screenwriter who couldn't figure out why this person would be able to have this gun and why it would have come out of nowhere. And you just said, oh, I know. I'll just make it a clever joke, like meta joke for the audience. And that'll be enough, especially in a movie that's trying to ground itself in realism and explain everything using science and 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 trying to reduce the amount of logical leaps that the audience needs to take. And then when presented with a scenario where you might ask, wait, where'd that gun come from? We're given the explanation of, fuck you for asking. Don't worry about it. Because remember, we just need to get to the action. And all of a sudden, this is an action movie. Yes, absolutely. In a normal action movie, like a John Wick or something like that, which, by the way, has a lot more credibility. And there are problems I have with the John Wick movies. But I don't mind them so much because it is framed in such a way where it earns all of its concessions or most of its concessions. This movie has never been framed as an action movie up until this point. And it just decides it wants to be one. And then it expects us to be okay with that. And I'm not okay with that. Something must have happened here. There is no possible way that they just cut to them in their den. But both me and Chris were like, when did they get here? How yes. are they suddenly in their den? Like, I don't know if we were furiously, ang- like angrily writing things down and like, in we a must, two second we, clip. We must have missed it because now all of a sudden there's a cave that they all know to go to, <laughs> even though they didn't necessarily follow him here. I don't think he's going to leave the forest. It's his home. The cave system here, he and his father spent a lot of time there. He okay. grew up in those caves. Okay, okay. We leave in one minute. Et on y va. Une minute. Au grotte. Mrs. Moore, on y va. Huh? He trusts you, so you're going to help me bring him in. Let's go. And we were both like, did you see when they got in there? And we we're like, no. <laughs> Okay, so these are my four notes that happened. They are st- 
still allowed to join the cops at the next location. Wait. Now they're offering Gavin a fucking ride? Gavin sticks around at the scene of the crime where he doesn't need to be. He has no business being. And there's a cop there. Hey, I'm ready to give you a ride to the next location whenever you're ready. Which, by the way, he gets attacked by the mom because the mom's really angry. And then in his rage mode, he ends up smashing her head in and then killing the cop. Yes. Okay. Yes. A so lot of happened. this shit happened. But we don't. Who cares? It, none of it matters. And like you're right. And you're so angry at this point that you're writing about how angry you <laughs> yes. are. They're in the cave with Pistor and separated from the rest of the SWAT team now. They're like right up with him. Like between him and the SWAT team who is now behind them, they're up, uh, they're leading the charge. They are the point of the spear, these fucking defense attorneys. And then on my net, my fourth note in this clump is, like you say, did I miss why they're even at this cave <laughs> and why they think he'll be here? <laughs> and there's lots of human bones, which. Again, no explanation. Yeah. More jump scares. Bats. By bats, yes. <laughs> Then they start getting picked off here. Now, you might be wondering, hey, wait a minute. What happened to when they were in the barn getting picked off? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't fucking know. I uh -huh. didn't write it down. I don't remember it. And then here, I guess he got away because he's picking him off in his den now. And this movie has become just a giant mess. Uh-huh. And it's made its audience so annoyed and frustrated that they can't even follow it. I, I mean, we couldn't. And... If you want to argue that while well, you let your you let your distaste for the film make it not make sense, fine. Yeah, that's the movie's fault. We get comments, guys, for those of you that don't know, we do get comments a lot that are like, why do you need this explained? Or why does every little small detail need to be explained? Like the fact that I'm asking these questions in the first, I feel like I'm a reasonable movie watcher. And... What you're asking me to do is ignore inconsistencies because you want me to like this movie. It's like if I was your boss and you were sleeping on the job and I come up to you and I'm like, what are you doing? You're sleeping on the job. And your response is, why don't you just let me sleep on the job? Well, because your job is to not be sleeping. Just like the movie's job is to entertain me and not get me to ask this these questions. And it is failing at that job. I was more thinking about the fact that people talk about the fact that we get things wrong. And yeah, you could you could argue right now I'm getting it wrong. I don't know how they got there. Yeah. But like the movie didn't do enough to make me care. Yes. Or to pay attention or to like, I'm not mad that the movie didn't tell us. What I'm telling you is that we didn't know. <laughs> There's a disconnect there somewhere. And I think it's the movie's fault. That's that. That's the point. There might be information there that we didn't get. Exactly. And guys, if you have information that you you think is important oh, enough Christ. to Just say, tell I, us. I was right. You're wrong. Okay. Tell me what I was wrong about. Yeah. Because anybody can go on anybody's website and say, you did everything wrong. Oh, really? Did I? It? Tell yeah. me, what did I do wrong? And you don't. It's not a challenge. It's I would genuinely like to know so we can correct the record. But they just say, no, you got it wrong. And then 140 plus episodes, almost 300 movies, and they got some vague thing wrong once. <laughs> what? 
What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> and so it's frustrating when we get to these parts in these movies where we don't know what happened and it's hard to tell. Is it because we were so furiously writing notes? Or is it because the movie did a bad job? Or is it some combination of the two? We just don't know. And unfortunately, I have to chalk it up to it's because I hated this fucking movie. <laughs> and that's that's the conclusion. The, the conclusion is this movie fucking sucks. Whether the information is there or not, the movie fucking sucks. So Talon runs away again. He's running from location to location. And then they chase in a helicopter, which they have now with sniper rifles. They're following after Talon in cars and the defense attorneys are in their own SUV or van or whatever that they've been driving around this entire movie also chasing after him and they can't catch up to him because he's just running on all fours so fast. The human body is not constructed in such a way where it would make you run faster that way. Well, our, our arms are not as long as our legs. Magic. Well, he also, he's but again, also this big. is a realistic He's also thing. big. I understand. So we don't know how. I understand, which just makes his legs longer. We see well, him. But his le- his arms are we, also long. We physically see him on the goddamn screen running on all fours, and he's running just like a human would look if they were running on all fours. It's just like in the sequel, the Glass, you know, when they get What's-His-Face running on all fours, or it's in all those fucking X-Men movies. I keep bringing those up. Where they get, they get Beast to run on all fours or whatever, and it looks ridiculous. Well, no, because at least in that one, they build up the back. Yeah, but my, my, you're not getting my point. They're angled at the waist. Your arms are shorter than your back legs, which have the most power. That is why it is better for us to be. You are not gaining anything by using your front arms. It would be faster for a human body, regardless of how muscular they were, to run on two legs than to run on four. There's a reason why cats and things like that run fast using all four legs, and it's because their bodies are built for it. Human bodies are not. It just looks stupid. Rage Gavin is so angry that he's going to turn into a werewolf and grow all this hair that he shaves off all of his hair. But he doesn't just shave it. Like, he feels the need to, to make just, himself like, drag bleed. it across his skin. And why? Why? In this moment, when you think Kate's in danger... Do you feel the need to shave it? Like, I understand what they're going for. The movie is going for, he is so rejecting this disease and he's going insane that his solution is get rid of the hair because the hair, a symptom, is associated with the disease. Get rid of the hair, get rid of the disease. His broken mind, that's what it's thinking. I can get that. But it is so ridiculous looking. It is. It's he really bad. shaves himself down, but really ultimately what it's about is is having another character that's not Harry. So when Rage Gavin and Talon go toe-to-toe. We've got a hairless man versus a hairy yes, man. So you can easily tell the difference between them. And I'm okay with that, but that is the stupidest fucking reason for somebody in the midst of a rage fit. To shave his his body of every and to hair. Angrily do it in front of the mirror. Yes. And like grit his teeth uh-huh. while it he's is... hurting himself as he tears off his own flesh. And you're just it like, started to get funny. Why? It started to get funny. <laughs> I, I wrote, wait, he's shaving his hair now? <laughs> why? And where did he get the razor from? 
Talon doesn't shave. Okay, now there's a funny moment where they've somehow caught up to Gavin. I mean, that Kate and Eric have somehow caught up to Talon without anybody else around. And it's pretty funny because they all shot, all the cops shot him. Eric saw this and now the dude's awake and alive and running around killing people again. And Eric's like, but, but they shot him. Does... Does that mean that he can't die? Is that what that means? Like, it's, it's great because it is it is a person realizing, uh-huh. oh, my God, he we can't kill this thing. Yeah. And they shot him like 10 times and he didn't die. He didn't die, Kate. What does that mean? Well, he can't be killed. Is that what that means? He can't be killed? Do they have to shoot him in the head? Maybe they have to shoot him in the head. Is that what it is? Is that the only way that, it, that he can die? Because- and and I- yet me, a defense attorney, I feel the need to inject myself into this scenario. Yes, and so after he's yelling this, Talon attacks him. Yes, this is, and then he holds him down and he tries to talk to Talon. Talon, no, 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 you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. Stop, 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 stop. And Talon cannot be reasoned with by Eric. And he grabs Eric's bottom jaw and rips it off. This is separate from when he's biting in people's skulls. He has also been tearing people's lower jaws off, which is a kind of a cool effect. Well, it also makes sense because it make probably make it easier for him to eat his prey. Yeah. Get rid of the weapon that the prey has. Yeah. Because he sees mouth as weapon. But anyway, there's a fight between him and him and uh, Gavin, Talon and Gavin. Because Gavin shows up because as soon as Talon kills Eric... Who's the other person that he can go after? Okay, think about this for a second. They go from the farmhouse to the cave, get an ambulance to take them to some hospital, maybe, where there is an accident on the middle of this path, and then they run into the woods. Gavin, this entire time, has been at the farmhouse and has no prior knowledge of where the cave is, that anything happened at this cave that anything happened on the path to the hospital where he ran from there and all of a sudden Gavin just appears and the movie expects you to not not to ask how did Gavin know how to get here and how did he get here the nose knows I guess he's a werewolf man I guess it's magic man but there's fighting Gavin gets knocked out a little bit there's the Martha moment I can't remember if that's when Gavin shows up or it's in the middle of it where he's about to kill Kate the same way that he killed Eric And instead, he sees the necklace and he's like, oh, dad, I have dead dad. You have dead dad. I'm going to hesitate just long enough for Gavin to attack me. Yes. And right on cue, this is exactly when the helicopter shows up. Yes. So that we can get a spotlight on Uh the fighting in front of the river. I wrote this. (laughs) Where are all the fucking cops this whole time? There was one ambulance that got destroyed. There is no reason why the helicopter and the other cop cars, which are made for pursuit, not these lawyers van, are able are not (laughs) able to keep up with this werewolf. It's so ridiculous. There's no way they lost him and it took them this long to find them. But we do cut occasionally up to the helicopter and they're like, find him. Where are they? They're going to have a fighting scene. They're going to like roar at each other a lot. And what happens? Who is the alpha? Gavin. Gavin somehow ends up being the alpha. I mean, the point is, is that this is the peak of the full moon. And so their powers are at their strongest. But... I guess but Gavin But he wins. can't be with her now because now mm-hmm. he's a werewolf. So she has the gun in her hand and he does that scene where he takes the gun 
puts it up to his temple. Do it! Yeah, he's asking her to kill him. And she drops the gun and then fire. Pistor, who is apparently a sharpshooter now too. Yes. From the moving helicopter. Yes. Shoots Kate. Because remember, Gavin warned Kate, you can't trust Pistor. You know too much. Pistor's going to try to kill you in all this hullabaloo. And that's exactly what he tries to do. And not attack the werewolf. Right. But attack Kate and protect his own ass. Gavin gets really angry. And I forget, does he jump up at the helicopter? Or does he throw something at it? I don't know. But he causes the helicopter to crash. And Pistor dies. Oh, I didn't remember that. And so, Gavin is the only survivor, apparently. That's what it looks like. Then we get more of this found footage bullshit where it's actually him doing interviews on television. He has his hair back and he's explaining what's going on. And he explains that Kate survived. She was taken to the hospital. She managed to survive. She's recovering. She's recovering. It's almost been a month. Yes, which means, oh, it's time now. And so are are we supposed to believe that now they're traveling around? Because he tells people that Talon got away and that's what's causing all these murders. And what does he say? What's the final line? Uh, That he's a werewolf. Yes. He says that on national television. But that's not my point. My point is, is that supposedly Kate and Gavin are now traveling the countryside, killing people in the guise of them going after Talon, who supposedly survived, but we know didn't. Also, they ask him, they ask Gavin if there were any side effects. Have you felt any side effects? Have you been affected in any way? So if Talon's a threat, why is Gavin suddenly not a threat? Why isn't anybody making that leap in logic and going, wait a minute, how do we know it's not you? You're in all these places where all these people are dying. I missed the fact that they said they were still after him. I wrote, so wait, they asked Gavin if he was feeling any side effects. So do they know what happened or not? And if they do, and he is telling everyone that werewolves are real and Talon is one of them, then why isn't he suspected? This movie is a fucking mess. It is. It's literally what I have in my notes. Big mess. Do you have anything else to say about the movie? No. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Does it have one? It has an audience score. Okay. Uh, Literally zero professional reviews, no Metacritic entry. It does An entry doesn't even exist, let alone having a score. And no cinema score, because it was never in cinemas in America. How many people have even reviewed it? 461. Um, let's say 26. 40. So is that overrated or underrated? Probably a little overrated. Yes. Absolutely. I appreciate the premise. Yes. I thought it was a really intriguing premise. I can appreciate that it is an independent film. Yes. I would say the acting was decent. It was okay. Um, I liked Vic Sahay. He was fun. Except for his character was infuriating. You ended up hating literally every single character by the end of this movie. 
Like, Kate's suddenly now okay with the fact that Gavin's a werewolf? I don't know if that's true. I don't remember them saying that. I'd want to look it up. They do. I want to rewatch it. No, you don't. Well, that scene. No, I'm not looking forward to editing this tomorrow. I'm going to give it a 20. See, I gave a 20 to I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. You gave it a 15. Oh, did I? Yeah. It was garbage. Yes, it was. It was garbage. But it didn't make me nearly as angry as this movie made me. And I think that's because I thought half an hour into this movie that I was going to really enjoy it. You know why it gets that extra 5% in comparison to I Still Know What You Did Last Summer? Because it's independent. Right. They didn't the have a huge a fucking grab. production yeah. behind it. Like, that was purely just, let's make some money. Yeah. This was, I'm interested at, in film. I want to do something. No, and- this, this feels to me, like, yes, that is an element, but it feels to me like I have this amazing idea, and it couldn't possibly be bad, it couldn't possibly be improved, and only I can bring it to the screen. That's what it feels to me when a writer directs his own stuff and it ends up this bad, that's the only explanation I could think of. It's like nobody else was, I'm the only one that could direct it because this is my story. Like how fucking arrogant do you have to be? I also, I, I think I've met, I've met kids. Now they're kids, but yes, I've met kids. They are, they're not adults. Right, but I've met kids who. Who like, convince other adults to make a movie with them. No, no, <laughs> I, I've met kids who, you know, they've got big, big dreams and they want to be producers, mm-hmm. they want to be directors, they want to be actors, Absolutely. writers, all that stuff. And how many of them is their favorite movie, Pulp Fiction? <laughs> well, they're too young to have seen that. Are they, though? Well. I watched it in middle school. Oh, totally. But it's also old. Okay. So it's not cool anymore. Uh-huh. But my point was going to be. Kids are told by so many people that you're not going to be successful, you're not going to do this, etc. Etc. That maybe they build that up inside of themselves so much that like, well, when I get to that point, I'm going to do it all myself to prove it, you know, to prove that I can do it. And I see that in my kids and it's like, I understand that you think it's arrogance, but I also think it's a, I want to prove that I can do this. And then, unfortunately, they failed. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's not the only... They failed because of hubris. I guess maybe not arrogance. It's hubris. It's the idea that what I have in my brain is a perfect idea and it needs to be on screen. Or it's that they don't think someone else will do it the way they want to do it. Right. And I I get that impulse. And I'm not saying... You'll hear me the first time I brought this up. I can't remember what episode it was in. You will not hear me say that directors directing their own scripts is bad. I do not think that that's the case. What I will say, though, is there is a feeling I get with particular bad movies where I can predict that this was directed by somebody who wrote their own script because they think their script is better than it is. That's a problem with directing your own script is because you cannot get outside of that and say, honestly, whether or not the script that you wrote is any good. There are people that are very talented that can make a good script and direct that same script. That is possible. But there's a special kind of bad that happens when they fail. (laughs) 
And this is one of those instances. Yeah, I'm giving it a 20 because I thought it had a, a good premise. It was unique. It was different. And then it just fell apart halfway through. I'm going to give it a 10. Yikes. It made me too mad. It squandered what it had because they wanted to be cool. You don't think this movie wanted to be cool? I got some of that, but I thought it was just trying to do something different with this genre, mm -hmm. which werewolves, I mean, it's not a huge genre, you know? And what we have, there's a lot of shit in it. And it was trying to revamp it, and I like that. I like that they wanted to try and bring this to reality. Unfortunately, it just did not work out. Right. Because the script is terrible. I also think that there were, you know how usually, if I'm, well, not usually, when a movie has excessive nudity, we all know that's because they don't understand horror and they think, this is what kids want. This is where we get the tits, right? Yeah. It's just you picture some guy with a big cigar saying, yeah, there needs to be tits. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel here, except that with action. Yeah. It was kind of like. You want to make money, you got to have action. He didn't know how to make it interesting without resorting to making it an action movie. And that's my point. is because it seemed like they were going to make it interesting. And then they very obviously didn't know how to do that, but still felt confident enough to continue making the movie. <laughs> anyway. Oh, so that is 2013's Where. And that ends our werewolf week. Fourth of July. Fourth of July, of. kind of. Hey, they were camping. Yeah. <laughs> what are we watching next week, Kelsey? Okay. Next week is a recommendation week. Mm -hmm. So next week, there's going to be a lot of vampires. There's going to be some extra stuff, too, but it's mostly vampires next week. We are going to be watching From Dusk Till Dawn along with Grindhouse. Wow. Yes. It's like a Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino week. <laughs> yes. This combination was recommended to us by Jeffrey and Rachel. Both of them wanted us to put these movies together. Okay. But also, I want to point out that Harry also wanted us to do From Dusk Till Dawn. So Jeffrey, Rachel, and Harry, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, okay, so how are we doing Grindhouse? Let's, let's explain that. So when I got those recommendations of... From Dusk Till Dawn and Grindhouse, we all know that they meant, or maybe they did say this, and I simply wrote Grindhouse. Sorry, guys. I, you know. Yeah. They probably wrote From Dusk Till Dawn with Planet Terror. Yeah. But here's the thing. Splitting up Planet Terror from Death Proof kind of feels... It's not the way you were intended to watch it. You right. were intended to watch both films together. It's supposed to be a 70s double feature situation. Uh -huh. And that's what you're supposed to get out of it. And I actually don't know if I've ever seen it the way it was supposed to be seen. I'm pretty certain I've seen both movies separate. And I've seen the commercials separate. You want to know something? What? I've seen Death Proof twice. I've never seen planet terror you've never seen planet never terror. seen planet terror it's so funny because planet terror is so much better than death proof. i understand i mean okay the point i'm is not a huge death proof fan uh-huh it's that 70s revenge terror that i'm not a big fan of but again it feels wrong to split them up and i think i got a very different mm -hmm. viewing experience because i saw them all separate from totally. each other yeah and so 
The point is, is that we are going to be watching effectively three movies. three movies next week, which is a lot. But we'll try to keep our commentary on Grindhouse to the important bits. And I'm fairly certain, I don't know for There's sure. There's not a lot to say about Death Proof, by the way. <laughs> but I'm fairly certain the Death Proof and Planet Terror are shorter than normal movies. I think so. Because, I mean, make it- if, if I think about what happens in Death Proof, like... Practically nothing happens in that movie. I think the whole movie altogether is three hours. Something like that, yeah. So they can't be longer than an hour and a half. And then we know that we've got the extra stuff. Uh So they're pretty short, I think. But yes, if you're watching along at home, we will be watching all of Grindhouse next week. Along with From Dusk Till Dawn. Which if you've seen From Dusk Till Dawn and you've seen Planet Terror... You don't need any explanation why they're together, but that's interesting because Chris has not seen Planet Terror. I have not. But I was like, I thought Planet Terror was zombies. So funny. But I it's mean, Robert Rodriguez. Of. It's Robert Rodriguez is the point. They're, and Quentin Tarantino. I, they did two movies. They put them together to make Grindhouse. And Robert Rodriguez made From Dusk Till Dawn with Quentin Tarantino. Yes. And I like From Dusk Till Dawn, actually. I love From Dusk Till Dawn. And it's a huge bummer because you never remember how it starts. Because one time... Oh, there's a long period of time where, where there's nothing, no vampires. Not, not, not scary shit happens. <laughs> and I was at a party once where they were like, let's put on a splatter film. You know, fun one that's going to be cool and gross and edgy. And me being the horror fan, they looked at me. And you know what I said? From Dusk Till Dawn. And you know what they all did to me within like 10 minutes of starting the film? They complained that it was boring. Yes. (laughs) And they turned it off and they told me, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, because I don't remember that it starts this way. Uh Uh-huh. Those are those are the best scenarios when you're like, oh, I completely forgot. Like, I, this is a movie I love, but I wipe from my mind all the stuff about it that's not the parts that I love, or the parts that are memorable. Because there's a lot in that beginning of character building. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's well done. But it's not what my friends were looking because for. Because your time. mind is in a particular place when you decide you want to watch from dusk till dawn. <laughs> like, oh, I want to see vampires in a desert titty bar. <laughs> That's what I want. And I want to see George Clooney with a neck tattoo. And, you know, like, you you know what you want to see. And all you get for, like, the first half of that movie is the George Clooney and a neck tattoo part. (laughs) And you forget about that sometimes. Yes, you forget that there is a whole other story going Uh on between these two brothers and them taking, they're trying to get into Mexico. And you forget about that. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, I love that movie, and I'm really excited that we're going to be watching it. So, awesome. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com, where you can get a list of every movie we've ever watched in alphabetical order. If you have uh, a backlog of our episodes that you haven't listened to, that's the best way to get through it. Just find the movies you want to hear us talk about. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the best help you can give for us there. Even better than that is sharing us with your friends. And even better than that is listening in the GD first place. We love each and every one of you. Thank you all so much. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Holy jumped up, bald headed Jesus Palomino.
But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? No, because we get to the exact moment where I say, but before we go, for you to remember, you do not have last words. I'm telling you, I, my mom used to always make things like potato salad and tuna and stuff like that. And she would make it take a little bit out before all the shit was put in and then put in the stuff like celery and things like that. And then she'd give that basic bitch version of it to me because I just would not eat it if it was, if it had all that extra crap in it. And that's how I learned to be a picky eater. Thanks, mom. No pickles, no onions on my burgers. Thank you very much. Not as picky as Kelsey. What do you want on your cheeseburger? Nothing. Ketchup. Look. Yes. If it was going to be one slice of lettuce, never is. It's always shredded. Shredded lettuce is the worst thing ever. This is where it's terrible. And then their tomatoes are always limp. And you're like, why did I eat this? I didn't want that. And then the onions are always white. You want your red onions? Yeah. Like fucking McDonald's cheeseburgers where they have the diced onions. It's the worst thing ever. <laughs> that was the worst thing ever. That's why Wendy's is so fucking great. Because their tomatoes are usually crisp. Only ever get one slice of lettuce. Mm-hmm. And then they had to change to white onions, those Fucking bastards. Uh, Carl's uses leaves of lettuce. Yeah, but Carl's is just not good in the first place. I only eat there because you like it and it's fast. Telling you, in and out, man. Just screw all that other stuff. Just, just the good stuff, thanks. All right, you ready? Yeah. Hello, my name is Chris. Did you already do quiet time? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Hello. <coughs> Sorry, that was exaggerated. What's his name? Fuck. He uh, something wicked this way comes. What's his name? Ray Bradbury. Uh, he is she. Who's that? Probably one of the cops. Okay. I, I saw, her, saw her all the time. Like, very, very, very twangy. Yeah. We also see that he's watching NWA. No, he's not. Sorry. <laughs> we'll get to that. Private justice. There is only private justice. <laughs> and the full moon? Again, I don't remember. We, didn't, we did not take good notes, apparently. Wicked. He told me something that was completely unbelievable, and yet I believed almost all of it. Andy doesn't die because we see Andy in this scene. <laughs> they, uh, Sarah, is her name Sarah? Kate. 
he was instrumental in getting somebody else off in the same circumstances. I probably shouldn't say getting somebody off. Look, Americans, it's, all they want to do is speak English. So, you know what? One of the I don't best- believe it. <laughs> What's that from? What is it from? I don't remember. It was in a movie we watched. Well, no, it was the director talking about his movie and how there were certain things that seemed impossible. He was like, it's magic, man. Yeah, but that movie was about magic. <laughs> this isn't magic. Why do you say not physically possible? Well, we because do they're really air balloons. They're really fucking heavy. It would it would require a lot of hydrogen in order to do that, probably more than they can physically fit into their bodies, even when expanded. That's my point about the Flight of Dragons, but it's not a big point. It's a fucking cartoon. But I'm genuinely interested. Mm-hmm. But we do that with hot air balloons. Like, I don't understand why. Yeah, but hot air balloons are made out of cloth. They're not out, made out of bone and meat and scales. And there's a reason that that, that that is the case. It's because cloth is malleable. It changes shape. And it's light relative to flesh and muscle and bone, which is really heavy. The amount of hydrogen you would need in order to cause that much muscle and substance to be lighter than air is an incredible amount, which is more than you would get just by expanding. I mean, imagine a hot air balloon and it's made out of cloth fabric, like what you might make a parachute out of. Think about that material, right? Now, that material that's like half an inch thick, quarter of an inch thick, is now six inches thick, at least, and it's made out of steak. (laughs) Imagine how much heavier that is. Now throw bones into the mix. Now, instead of skin, it's scales. Magic, man. Right. (laughs) That's my analysis of Flight of the Dragons. And that disease... Could get him off. I hate saying get him off. Your front legs are are your front legs, your arms. I love you too, Marty. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>